0: So that's how the world ended. Not with a whimper, but with a (laughs) backstab.
1: Okay, I did not mean it, okay? There was was a squish. (laughs) It was definitely a squish.
2: Probably like a slurpy sound, you know? It went squish, and then it went whoop.
0: So I solicited questions from Twitter, and we got, I'm going to say, roughly 4,000. Okay. Jeez. So I think the structure of this might just be answering questions and seeing where the, they take us. Sure. Because I'm sure we'll get around to everything eventually. Oh, yeah. If we just kind of talk, <laughs> uh, I don't know how, like, organized that would be. All how right. How do you guys feel about starting the, with the questions? We can
3: start with the questions. I mean, I, I have, like, a couple... I have a couple important things to say, but hopefully they'll just come out in the questions. If not, I'll just say them at the end. Uh, but Austin, before we do that, I sure would love to know the results of that poll about who is the most favorite character on work <laughs> on on Dice Funk because I sure didn't check. So
0: you. I bet you would. <laughs> it's not fair. I couldn't vote because it was my own poll, but you could. No, I'm just kidding. I lost. <laughs> I, um... You lost by a
3: lot.
1: I voted for one of my own characters, so... (laughs) That's fine. And only because I didn't want to, like, sway it anyway, and I knew for a fact that neither of my characters were well-liked by the audience other than, you know, (laughs) when I was betrayed and or when I actually ended the universe, so...
3: Johnny, in a lot of ways, you're the MVP, but in terms of, like, the actual narrative characters... Oh, okay. So it was a it was a
2: narrative character poll, then. All right.
1: Actually, according to Austin, I was the MVP last session. Fuck you.
2: <laughs> okay, fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who killed more people? I think it was me. Pretty sure it was me. All
3: right, everyone's an MVP, but me. But uh, my character
2: was, was the most popular. So yeah. Well, congratulations, Leon. You died the least painfully. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>
0: So the poll results, for anyone curious, we got basically 100 votes, so every percentage is like 1. Ronaldo got 49% and got 42%, pretty close. And then Alana and Jane got 3 and 6, respectively. Yeah, I didn't
1: fucking think that anybody would like my characters anyway, so...
3: Your characters were good, they just didn't last... For, for the whole game, like the other two did. that's I think that, that was like... a. At a least my
1: characters it. played attention to the plot, unlike others I could mention. <clears throat> Ronaldo, sorry!
3: Oh, really? Really? I didn't pay attention to the plot? I was the one who decided not to put the dagger and the orb together because it seemed bad. And then y'all were like, let's oh, do the opposite sorry, of that. Oh, I'm
1: sorry, Mr. I will ignore <laughs> 500,000 books in a fucking library that could have told me a bunch of shit.
3: Manono doesn't read. All right. so That's half your issue. Let's get to the questions. Let's just jump in because we, we only have so much.
0: Otherwise, we're just going to snipe at each other for an hour.
2: <laughs> I'm okay listening to that. Honestly, I would, I would be. I've been doing that for, for, for the last 10 months for the most part, actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just to be clear, though, like there's no ill will. No, like, no. Oh, no,
2: everybody...
1: no,
3: God, no. No. No, we're all friends.
0: Everyone had fun. I just remember someone asked if Jess was quote-unquote really fired, and I saw someone on the YouTube comments say, I don't agree with Austin firing Jess.
1: <laughs> oh my god, really? That's really funny. Okay, so let me address that, because I sure. know I already addressed it in one of the to one of the patrons, and also on, uh, I am not fired. I took the executive decision when I was approached for Season 2 of Dice Funk, I literally told Austin, no, I have real-life obligations. I have to work on a master's thesis proposal this year. So, because of that, I will not be spending my next additional ten months doing Dice Funk. But that doesn't mean that, you know, I've been fired. That literally just means that possibly season three, if this goes that long, yes, maybe.
2: I, I I guess a lot of the audience probably wouldn't know that um we did like we had some some scheduling issues
1: we did have a lot of scheduling issues um most of those were mine (laughs) sorry
3: some of it was mine sometimes i just wanted to go out
2: and do stuff on thursdays back in december i had my own problems so
1: well that's true and then me and leon just said fuck it one day and we went to go see civil (laughs) war so that was so good Uh, (laughs) oh yeah
0: Keeping a tabletop game together is a notoriously difficult thing. That's part of why I built the season structure in, because I knew we wouldn't be able to keep the same crew together for very long. Mm -hmm. I'm actually pretty happy that we got 10 months out of it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that was was some really great planning on your part, because I didn't think we were going to make it all the way to the end, (laughs) honestly. Because I had told Johnny, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, actually... That I was gonna have to end, like, wrap it up before the last week of July because yeah. I was gonna go back to residency, and he was like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. I got this." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, okay, and so we're gonna was. die in like a, the next month." Okay, we're good. All right.
2: <laughs> so why don't we why don't we go ahead and jump into questions then on this the dice funk moratorium?
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Not what that word means, no, I, but I, I
2: post doing post Postmortem. Postmortem. Postmortem.
0: I know. Alright, so I'm just gonna basically read those in order. Hopefully it makes some sort of sense. Alright. Uh Leon, did you are you talking? Because I keep hearing like little whispers of you. I'm here. I'm talking to you right
2: now. My sensitive acoustic guitar band in high school was called Little Whispers of You.
1: Did <laughs> that your dice think... funk cover band? <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, but now I'm changing the name to Little Whispers of Leon cuz that's way more 90s. That's way All more right. 90s.
0: That's a Kings of Leon cover band if ever I've heard one. Oh
2: my. Definitely.
0: Finch asks, would Dr. Swag Money have saved the world if he wasn't cursed to be the <laughs> cursed to the position of NPC? I'll answer that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Cash Money could have taken Gorfinax with a hand tied behind his back. He's that good.
2: One of the one of the books that Leon didn't read in the library foretold the coming of two chosen ones: <laughs> Jack and
0: Doctor Cash Money.
2: <laughs> uh, Doctor Doctor Cash Money and Jack, and uh, and were so much swag to get together in the same location. It wouldn't be long before uh, Gorfinax's presence would just shrink against such majesty. Oh my we missed out
1: see if you had read that we could have averted all this shit yeah i
0: don't want to hear sh- i don't want to hear anything about the fucking library we spent two episodes there i'd rather the world ended and we all died than waste the listeners time with any more library
2: <laughs> so <laughs> i made my choice if you guys have any questions to ask me as well feel free to to chime in whenever uh whenever what that's, was uh... the
1: only scenario where we would have not died
0: Hold on. There, th- there are questions of that. We'll get there. That's why I wanna, I wanna go through these. Yeah,
2: we'll we'll go through user questions.
1: Are they using us? I wasn't aware of list, that.
2: List, listener questions. Listener <laughs> questions. <laughs> All
0: right, Alice Darko, which is a good name, asks, "Would Johnny be so kind as to make his Dice Funk writings available?"
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, my my campaign bible is going to be available. I'm not sure how we're going to put it up, Austin. how how, how are you? I mean presumably maybe through through one of your Patreon posts or
0: yeah I was thinking just making it a post there you can just upload it as a of a, a downloadable file for anyone who wants to see it right it'll be public
2: so um unfortunately okay um it's not going to be it's not a complete campaign bible um I discovered really early on that having to juggle back and forth between a word document and character documents and my recording software and the rule twenty app and and Skype, which we were using to record the show, was really quite a pain in the ass, so there are going to be a couple of things that aren't included um such as um dungeon maps, so like the the map of the school the map of the the manor, and things like that. those I kind of had scrawled on pieces of paper that i would I would keep nearby physically um First person to send their address to Johnny gets them. I <laughs> oh,
1: no, I was just going to say, why doesn't he just take a picture with his phone and just put it on his computer?
2: Um, Because unthinkingly, when I cleaned my desk the other week, I threw them out.
1: Oh, well, that was stupid of you.
2: Well, there was, there was a whole, you know, there was a whole pile of, like, little scratches about, like, uh, experience being rewarded, and, like, you know, characters, oh, gotcha. and, and like, uh, um, the the final battle I had, basically my own little spell book on, like, notepads and things like that, that I was, like, you know, scrolling through, so it was just, some of my maps were in that pile of scraps.
1: Um, How long did your uh, campaign Bible actually end up being?
2: My campaign bible in open office four is seventy four pages long.
1: That's like two Chuck Tingle novels.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. Um, only <laughs> with with more sticky stuff. Ew. There's also um, just the, the 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 basis of the the, the campaign document. Um, my outline is not in there. I wrote my outline down on something separate, uh, and then basically. Wrote kind of like all of the things that were that were going on um, so there's there 's a number of of like you know little bullet points and things like that so the the first part of the document is really heavy with flavor text, um, and then kind of like as the game went on uh, and I understood that the players were less interested in flavor text than I had assumed they were going to be. It kind of drops (laughs) off. I loved flavor text.
1: Yeah, flavor text is my fave.
2: Um, It it drops off a little bit and things kind of take like bullet points. Also, you might find that things are kind of like out of order. And of course, there are also things that happen or, you know, things in the document that uh, didn't happen at all.
0: Yeah, which I think we will get to in later questions. Yeah. So the answer to that question is yes. It'll be on patreon.com slash Austin as soon as I get it in my hands and
2: i mean if if anybody goes ahead and reads it and they have any questions about that you can contact me directly i will i will try and answer as best i can um twitter's usually the best way to do that i am at scatterbrains
0: cool next question
2: go
0: on uh this one i think is just for me rick armstrong asks what happened to the two side groups involving kanye quest which is a story i told Early on in Dice Funk. Oh my
1: oh, yeah. god, what did happen to Kanye Quest? <laughs>
0: Everybody wants to know. Yeah, there were two groups. Kanye Quest, which is the one in which my brother played an orc called Kanye Quest. And then we did another group, a spinoff that I DM'd. It was my first ever time DMing and I wanted to get some practice. And that one was called The Squid Squad, in which we were villains going after the heroic Kanye Quest. Both of those ended because of schedule conflicts. And they were fun. Like, they, we didn't really reach any conclusion or anything, but it was more about getting me uh, more experience playing the game because I had never played an RPG before we started this project. And everyone else here has a lot more experience, and I wanted to not suck. So the Kanye quest one just kind of petered out halfway through a dungeon, I think, and Squid Squad ended with uh, Father Carlos starting that creepy cult of kidnapped kids.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Great alliteration there.
0: Was there alliteration? I did not intend <laughs>
3: Creepy cult of kidnapped kids.
0: Oh, nice. But yeah, those are both fun. But not, there's a reason we didn't broadcast them. They were more for more for us.
1: All right. Oh, I'm so sad that Kanye Quest ended because of scheduling issues. That's so sad to me. Oh
0: yeah, it's hard for college kids. Everybody's like moving away, going to new places. I'm just starting law school. It's a it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Next question. Robert Paulson asks, "Anne gave Lawn Again a butt touch." Is that why Avondra proffers him? No. Explain the Lonigan Avondra connection.
2: The the Lonigan well, it's not really a Lonigan Avondra connection, it's a Gorfanax Avondra connection. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Gorfanax kind of exists in a um I, at least, you know, I I was trying to express this during the course of the campaign that, that there's something about Gorfanax that is unusually lucky. It eats people's futures. I said, right? So it eats potential. It eats, like, all the things that you are going to be and have happen to you later on in life. You know, all of your fortune and things like that. So Gorfinax kind of exists in this realm of of luck that Avondra is is god of. So there's there is a kind of a connection there where she recognizes that that Gorfinax is an extremely lucky entity. And uh, uh, of that kind of connection, there was... I didn't. I didn't get to explain it, but um, essentially the story was going to be that Evandra was kind of poking at Gorfinax to be like, you know, what are you? What are you? What? You're you're different. You're new. But you know, we kind of have some overlap. Like, hey, you know, like in the shoulder, kind of this, like, "Hey. hey, 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 hey. So when Lonigan was taken control of by Gorfanax when they fused and became yeah. one, he had these vague memories of Avandra being one of the things that kind of, like, roused it from its uh, its sleep. Oh, okay.
0: Okie dokie. There it seemed to me, there was a lot of confusion, and I think some of that was intentional, that maybe my god had done, like, a heel turn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That was like, <laughs> yeah. y- you know, I, one of the one of the things that I I tried really hard to do for Anne's character because I got I got a lot of character I got character backstories from everybody, um, and you may have noticed that I tried to work some of them into the campaign. Um, Ronaldo's nice. history with with Firo, um, and and the business he left on Acomoros. uh Jane's druids. Um, and and the um, the implication that maybe they know a little bit more about Gorfanax than just normal people. Uh, one of the things I was trying really hard to do for Anne's campaign was pull on uh, a kind of religious doubt, uh, because one of one of uh, Anne's backstories involved basically leaving uh, another church because she felt like it was not not administering to the people in a way that she was. It basically wasn't burning enough people, I guess is the story. <laughs> uh, so I was I was trying to play with with religious doubt with Anne's character, that maybe she hadn't made the right decision leaving, that that maybe you know like she was a traitor to her gods, and when she prayed, Ivondra often didn't didn't contact her. So
0: yeah, I think there's I think there's actually a surprising amount of like literary techniques that got employed like you said there's like backstory themes and stuff there was foreshadowing like this was all improv but i'm actually really happy with the way it turned out it wasn't
2: all improv i mean i have 70 i have 74 pages of setup here so yeah
0: true but i'm saying things like so in the end we we did fail and we all died but you know how in a more traditional story things will get set up and be like, oh this guy is really good at paper mache and then during the final <laughs> final boss fight it'll come in handy and that's how they win. Yeah.
3: Yeah, sure. Check off check paper mache.
0: Yeah, check offs, paper mache. Exactly. But for us it was like we we all failed. And I think we all had like a tragic flaw. Or you know, when in Shakespearean studies they would call it the hamartia. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh my. Oh.
0: Where it all came down to like Anne was her flaw is she's stupid and she has religious doubts. And when she had that vision at the end, she was too stupid to interpret it. And Ronaldo is just too proud. His ego is too huge and he could have surrendered himself and we could have ended the hostility and had some breathing room to think, but he wouldn't do it. And I would say, Alana's tragic flaw is that she's very impulsive. Like the whole reason she got dragged into this was because she tried to pull (laughs) Ronaldo back through the window, and you know she did all this other stuff. Like she stabbed herself to, you know, to make up this, this lie, and she did all these things kind of impulsively. And her stabbing the orb was very much that. So I feel like the way it all turned out feels almost like planned in the way that it it um it references these things.
2: It came together. It came together really well. Yeah, it really did. Someone in the
3: comments section uh, is binge watching or binge listening to Dice Funk right now in preparation to listen to this, and keeps saying, "Oh, this is prophetic," because because <laughs> I just I said a thing that ended up being uh, hinted at later. But that is, it's not like purposeful foreshadowing. It's just, oh, I said we're all going to die, and there's it's just going to be nothing but ashes. It just worked out that way.
1: Yeah, seriously.
0: The one thing, and we joked about this off off mic, but afterwards someone said, Oh, I guess someone could kill Ronaldo. But then I was like, it's maybe a, kind of like a Macbeth twist, because your your boast was no one can kill Ronaldo. Yeah. But really you were done in by all of us. It, yeah.
2: was- <laughs> it was a group effort.
0: Yeah, it was a team effort to kill Ronaldo.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it was a real it was a real Orient Express situation. <laughs> Yeah.
0: And also I want to say I don't I'm not disappointed at all that we quote unquote lost. I think from the beginning you were very upfront that it was Lovecraft meets noir and Lovecraft stories are famous for the the ending with the hero's death or insanity. Yeah. And I think noir is also kind of a downer ending usually. We, you specifically
2: it, it was totally consistent to end the way that it did. I okay. was I was yeah. not expecting you guys to to pull it out
0: You drew heavily on uh, Chinatown as well, which is perhaps the most infamous bad ending in (laughs) mainstream cinema history. (laughs) Yeah. It it definitely felt uh, like it all fit together and was not a disappointment to me personally. Next question. Brian Gonigal asks, everyone was so quick to come down on Alana for doing such a stupid thing and destroying the universe. But when she clearly announced her intention, I don't recall anyone shouting, wait, this might be a bad no, idea. No, no, no,
3: no. I'm going to interject here. Ronaldo was <laughs> uh-huh. very, was very much against anyone stabbing anything near him. So, and, yeah. I, and I listened to that episode. I was against it and was not.
0: I said out of character. I said, uh, no one knows how these things work. No one will blame you.
1: And the other thing is too is that I feel like in terms of like because I'm the one who ended the world, I want to say that Ronaldo Ronaldo was very selfish in that he didn't want things stabbed around him. But I feel like because he was in con like he was about to have a showdown with Firo and Alana wanted no part of that at all because basically her thinking was if they took Ronaldo and she and Firo killed Ronaldo. What was what was going to stop Firo from killing me and Anne as well? So I think it was one of those. Okay, this might be impulsive, but at the same time, at least it's going to save us from this one thing.
0: It was five on three.
1: We were outnumbered.
3: What do you know would have would have saved us if we just got on our horse and our moose and we fucked off. That, that do you think crazy. that would
0: have been a satisfying ending? Though I feel like that would have been lame.
1: Yeah, and besides, we were on a time clock. You know, we
3: right. We ride off into the sunset to the Temple of Avandra and we chill, and we find Silas, and, and life goes on. I mean, we, the, riding off into the sunset is a very satisfying uh, finish. That's how Last Crusade
0: ended.
2: No, uh, it, the world would have ended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: We, we ride off, and in the, su- in the far horizon, we see a shadowy figure the size of a mountain rise up, yeah. and then it ends anyway. Well, then
3: I have a question for, for Johnny related mm-hmm. to that, what we're talking about. What was the solution <laughs> to the puzzle?:
0: That is definitely a question. I'm going to get there.
3: Okay, okay, we we can wait.
0: Yeah, I just want to give credit to the people who were so kind as to send questions in: yeah oh, we, sure. don't wanna, we don't want we don't want to blow the
3: plot load right away. All uh, right I, I wasn't sure I wasn't sure what.: was I asked.
1: mean, <laughs>
0: we're also going to give this. Q&A, uh, a narrative arc, because I think everyone's waiting for that. Oh, that okay. is the climax, so I don't want to get it right away. Yeah,
1: so listen until the end, and we'll, review <laughs> and we'll, we'll let you know if you listen all the way to the end.
0: Or fast forward so. to the end, whatever. Um, next. I'm actually just reading them in the order Twitter is presenting them to me. All right. Cora Matus asks, if Jane hadn't gotten her head turned to paste, mm-hmm. how differently do you guys think the final confrontation would have gone?
1: I think Jane would have joined Firo.
0: Anne was very into joining Firo as well. They both had a very similar, uh, almost like terrorist quality. Yeah,
1: I think that Anne and Jane probably would have gotten together, gone, again, like gone with Firo, and Ronaldo would probably be dead. I don't,
3: I don't, yeah. feel, I don't feel like after uh, Anne learned that Firo needs to kill Ronaldo that she would have been down with that. Because their, their friendship was pretty like clearly established as probably the strongest bond in the game. uh, I mean, she was
1: so mad at you that you killed me that she burned (laughs) your fucking face, man.
0: (laughs) Well, Anne considered you two both her best friends, and it's true that she was a little closer to Ronaldo, but as the campaign was going, I think it was like clearly she was pulling away from you and towards Jane. There's that scene, Mm. the last time Anne saw Jane alive was in the church where they were like, saying, you know, I have something I need to tell you, but it has to be later, like, do you promise? Like we're we're best friends, we hugged it out. Like I think it was actually a really touching and in hindsight like really fucking tragic scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, because that's the last time you saw her alive and then immediately afterwards, like you see this new person and Ronaldo tells you that, you know, Jane is dead and you were like, Oh my God, why did you do that?
3: I still I still don't feel like if Anne joined Firo and Firo was like, Okay, now it's time to kill Ronaldo, I don't feel like Anne would
0: have be been like, Yeah, okay. Maybe not. It would have been it would have been more complicated. It would've okay. been more complicated, but Anne wanted to join Firo because she approved of the bombings and stuff.
1: <laughs> I also think well the other thing is is I think that if, if Firo had said, Well, Ronaldo's a criminal, this is what he has done and then if Jane had survived the like the fatal bloody pulp thing like especially if Ronaldo like had attempted to murder her and no, she no. Had got and she had survived it i feel like Anne would just have like more fuel to add to that fire like even though they're friends like she does believe in a sense of justice so
3: i'll 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 wait if anyone asks but i can explain Ronaldo's backstory and why Firo uh has, has has issues with him and what all this is about but i'll, I'll wait i'll wait to see what questions come up
0: well, I'll we'll talk about her backstories, but on the, on the note of Jane surviving that encounter, how did you fuck that up, Jess? He was outnumbered like four to one. You had a full shape shift, which you could have turned into a dire wolf and soloed him. You had all the time in the world and you just let him body you. I've been waiting for like months to ask you, like, how badly did you play D&D that week, dog?
1: I didn't actually play it that badly because I really did want a tragic ending to Jane, to be honest with you.
0: I thought so. I thought it was suicide by cop, honestly. Yeah,
1: s- to be fair, I don't I I I think that Johnny also had a feeling that this was true because when <laughs> everybody said, "Oh my god, why didn't you transform into a Dire Wolf?" I literally said nothing. That should have been a clue to all of you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know somebody in the YouTube comment says, oh, uh, it seemed like Ronaldo had too many turns there. Like, he did a bunch of things in quick succession. Ugh. But if you go back and listen to it, he, like, runs across the room, they slam the door, he turns back, he runs up the stairs, and you say, I take out my quarterstaff. Yeah. And that's it. Like, you you could have thrown a fireball, you could have changed. Like, you chose yeah, to I not do anything. Yeah, I
1: chose to let him kill me.
3: Oh,
0: sure. No, I'm serious.
3: <laughs> no, no, I'm playing. I'm playing.
1: I l- I literally wanted a tragic end to Jane because of two reasons. The first reason was that I feel like without Jane, it would have caused tension between Ronaldo and Anne, which it did, mm. which is a thing that happened. The other thing is, is that as as much fun as Jane was and as much fun as turning on the party was, I don't think that Jane really wanted to turn on the party and by the time she had she realized her mistake and didn't want to but by that point she was already in with Tamson and all them and she was like well fuck it I might as well make this look as terrible as possible so that's literally the reason
3: if uh Ronaldo didn't beat her and basically like there was a standstill basically the the game would be like very very different because there would be the party and then there would be jane as one as one of the antagonists for the rest of the game or until she died off
1: what i was thinking of doing is if i had survived the encounter which i didn't think i would but if i had i would have when you were kidnapped what i would have done was i would have disguised myself as one of the cats (laughs) that was like in there and gone Mm. to go get you and then leave as a dire wolf and like take to the to to the rooftops but because it didn't go that way Mm -hmm. We got the story. We got. Yeah. All right.
0: I also just want to say that I think that was some really good in character role playing because uh, the way that Johnny described it, people were just assuming Ronaldo was throwing a temper tantrum, so no one really took it seriously until it was too late. <laughs> so like, even if out of character, you're like, this is kind of suicide by cop. In character, you were playing it almost like your downfall was your. You just didn't consider him a real threat. Like you stayed to watch, and you were just like standing at the top of the stairs, just being a smug dick, and that's what. <laughs> Yeah. Got killed. Yeah. I like that yeah. a lot.
3: The weird thing is, like, like we mentioned this before, but like, I rolled really well by accident. And for and Bernardo has like awesome stats, awesome starting stats, so he doesn't really, he didn't really have any weaknesses. The only reason he seemed like a goof in the beginning because I just happened to have a lot of really bad roles in the first. Yeah, like, and that's what Jane episodes.
1: remembered. Like Jane as right. a character, she's like every time we give him something to do, he fucks it up. Like he's going <laughs> to fuck this up. And then he did not And then she was like, well, fuck me. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. yeah.
3: Ronaldo had his spinach that
0: day. You did, you did a very good job of separating your in character and out of character knowledge. And then it became a very like trigun situation <laughs> where up oh, suddenly the, the fool is the, the master. Yeah. Um, but there's actually a part two of this question from Coramatus who asked what was going on with Ulik? Was he supposed to get sacrificed to feed Gorfanax?" was being a phylactery relevant to that? What's that guy's deal? We just th- we stopped seeing him after a certain point.
2: <laughs> no, you you you'll remember that you came back um after the exchange.
0: Yeah, we left him in the soup kitchen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. and he was in the quarry with uh with me as Alana, so I mean yeah. it wasn't like we'd never saw him again.
0: Yeah. The last time we saw him was in the soup kitchen.
3: Yeah, he was very he was very pissy and then we left him alone. <laughs> that,
2: was, that was our decision.
0: What was his function?
2: well i mean obviously the guy was a MacGuffin, right mm-hmm. it was just it was the guy that you you know like you had to find uh so the story is is that he wasn't going to be sacrificed um because uh it at first of all the story goes that erlin assumed when he first encountered the the Gorfanax worshiping tribes that uh that it was human sacrifice that 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 gorfinax uh lived on that that you know they ate people uh through the hundreds of years of research on the product he discovered that gorfanax ate people's futures so uh you may, you may remember leon um that you had a nightmare in one of the very early episodes about being strapped to a table completely naked oh yeah so the the story is actually is that um was the 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 ritual that had been designed is actually a castration oh i was right I was right. I... <laughs> so the the story basically goes is that that Ulic is created with a little bit of essence of of uh, Erlen inside him, <clears throat> and then as the you know not only the successor quote unquote to to the lordship of Stone Root, um, there's also a part of Erlen in there, and by basically destroying his lineage and making it impossible for him to reproduce, you are you're sacrificing that future to Gorfinax. So Erlin had basically designed a way to, and he had done this you know, many, many times over the hundred years that he had lived, um, he would create a son, um, send him off to school, the son would be castrated, and his future and lineage would be sacrificed to Gorfinax, and then the son would come home again. Um you remember that when you were investigating Ulick's room there were a bunch of like journal entries and things like that right
3: Yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and
2: a bunch of them were in different handwriting So the story is that Ulick had discovered that people were going away to school and then coming back changed like there was something a little bit wrong with them so they would they would come home and then erlin would look after them for some amount of years but at, like having their future sacrificed to gorfinnax hollowed them out a little bit and then uh, they would almost invariably die young. Like, I think I, I I I said that they would probably only last about 15 years or something before they would just kind of, like, waste away. And then Erlin, uh, with just a little bit of glamour magic and making himself look a little bit younger, would take the place, like, pretend that the Lord Erlin had died, and that I, his son, will carry on his legacy, go about your business.
1: Huh. That's what I thought was going on, because when he first said, you know, like, when, um, I don't remember who said it, was it Austin who said it as, like, as a phylactery or something?
0: The Horcrux phylactery goofs. Yeah,
1: and the first time you said that, I was like, huh, I wonder if that's how he changed himself and, like, made the people believe that he was different people over the years. Like, I thought it to myself, but I didn't say it out loud, because I didn't want to sound like... Oh, you know, that's fucking stupid and then he'd be like, "Fuck no, that's not what I do." And then, you know, so I feel
2: like
0: God forbid we sound stupid on the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we didn't really we didn't really get too much into Erlen's history, but I was trying really hard to make him to write him as a sympathetic character who had to make a lot of hard choices. Yeah,
0: there was a very early, I I don't know if it was on Mike, where I I, I referred to him as the villain, and you said, well, antagonist. And I was like, oh, just tipped your hand, Johnny. Caught you. Caught you with your pants down.
1: (laughs) Well, I I guess that explains why Erlen was so upset when Tamsin was trying to, like, kill Ulick at the the, uh, quarry, because, like, now that makes sense, because originally I thought he was going to, like, sacrifice him. But it turns out, no, he's literally going to let him live out his life and then take his place as soon as he dies off or whatever. But he never got castrated, though,
2: right? Not only that, he was, like, uh, at the quarry, he was honestly really quite alarmed if anything was going to happen to to Tamsin. Because there were a lot of people in that quarry that had very, very powerful futures, and the quarry was supposed to be kind of like the weak point between realities, because I, like, mm-hmm. I, I think through the imagery, you guys uh, uh, must have learned at some point in the story that, that the stone, that, that like, famous stone that they export and that's really good for everything, is actually Gorfinax, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which is why it started turning all fleshy. In right. in you know like uh, in the so last so did it turn fleshy in other
1: parts of the world too?
2: Yeah, yeah, that was the uh... <laughs>
1: God. I hate oh those poor people have no idea what they just went through and yeah. then they died, so they're never gonna know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right, we got to start moving because I have like a hundred more, so right. we got to be a little all quicker. Right. All right, uh, sorry. Stem Power Giraffe asks, "Can we get a summary of the player character backstory? We only got to see some of Anne's and Jane's, and only hints about Ronaldo." Leon, I haven't heard your voice in a while. Why don't you start? Okay.
3: Um. All right. Real quick. Uh, Ronaldo was born in Echamoris. So it's an island city. His mother died during childbirth. His father is named Santaro. He raised him in the streets to be a thief. Ronaldo rebelled against this once he reached adolescence, thinking his talents could be served better in the local peacekeeping force. Uh, uh in, like the past year before the events of the show the home guard the local police force killed his father when he was unarmed for stealing fruit and resisting arrest uh ronaldo um had an affair with bosar who is the son of the lord of Akamoros and there it's there it doesn't say he is in the backstory but johnny kind of like altered it after their affair uh, was was discovered and and johnny sort of said bye Firo, and i'm like okay fine but uh, ronaldo was imprisoned and they were going to execute him and then the son said no don't or i'll kill myself and then they exiled him instead and that is his major backstory stuff there's a lot of other stuff but that's the that's it real quick
2: i did i threw Firo in there Firo was yeah. uh originally uh ronaldo's uh commanding officer in the home guard and yeah. um he doesn't know for sure um, but I was like, but you, you deeply suspect that it was actually Firo who turned you over uh, uh, to the Royal Guard. And secretly, everybody kind of wanted to execute him all along, but they mm-hmm. had to sort of be like, oh yeah, he's exiled. So when Firo found out where he was, she was like, I can drag you back to Akamoros and we can we can execute you secretly. Yeah. So that Bosar will think that you're off, you know, living a carefree lifestyle somewhere. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's that
0: okay i actually feel like we got all the pieces to that puzzle like it's kind of like the mad max fury road thing where you mm-hmm. said enough you said you got exiled for reasons of love you ruined furo's career she had a vendetta against you like i kind of pieced that together obviously without the names Right. But i think you did a really good really good job of weaving that in okay that's cool uh for Anne, you got most of it in the show she was part of the andala church she got kicked out uh, for burning someone she couldn't have. I think the only thing I really didn't bring up was her teddy bear, which if you listened to the first episode, I kind of made up on the spot that it was her holy item. But the story behind that is that she, it was given to her by the family of a kid who was killed uh, by the guy she burned. So it was kind of like a memento that she kept of the good things she did, the kind of turning point in her life where she everything changed for her. Uh, I just didn't find a good time to bring that up.
2: That's why I used the teddy bear in a lot of the nightmares that you had, because it was, a, it was a turning point in your life, and I wanted to be that whole, like, did I make the right decision?
0: Yeah. I think mo- the more, most important thing about Anne to understand, really, was the the struggle between the wanting to do good and this, like, crazy violent streak <laughs> that was masked by her, like, childlike idiocy, okay. which is something uh, uh was a lot of fun to play. Hmm. Just pull double duty. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh i'll start with jane because she's you know the first character so jane was born to a very very high society family of clerics who uh she grew to hate at a very early age because they were um they were pretty bad people they were basically using religion as their front to extort and you know basically do all kinds of horrible things and because she didn't think that that was what religion was supposed to be about she ran away and uh her family followed her so she um (laughs) it's really funny because at the time i didn't really think about it but now that i think about it i really don't think that jane would have gone over the rooftops with ronaldo because she tripped and fell off a cliff and her family assumed her dead and she liked to keep it that way so she joined a dru- the druids and decided to use um her druidism to help people instead so
0: i i love that you got killed while trying to hide the fact that you faked your death basically basically <laughs> that's a that's a delicious irony
1: <laughs> it is kind of delicious uh yeah but basically her biggest fear was that her family was going to find her and bring her back to her home and make her marry like the worst of the clerics and blah blah blah, and the cycle of life would continue, and she would have to like watch her children grow up and be terrible people, even though she is not ter- terrible herself, so that was pretty much her backstory
2: i'm just gonna I'm just gonna nip in here and say that. From that backstory, yes, I had adapted the druids that picked Jane up to actually be the descendants of the people who had originally worshipped Gorfanax and the reason. So, if Jane had survived, we might have been able to have actually tapped that that plot line, but it it was not meant to be, sadly.
1: Yeah. Um, and then for Alana, uh, she grew up in an elven town, uh, but because she was a half elf, um, they were never fully accepted her, so she ran away, um, and she found her way to Stone Root and sold herself for money. And that's where you guys found her. But, um, yeah, she, um, she didn't really think much about anything other than money. But, uh, for those who are probably going to ask what part is half-elf, uh, mother's elf, father's human, father disappeared while mother was pregnant. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much her backstory. Uh, I didn't really put as much thought into that backstory as I did with Jane, because, Uh, I pretty much made Alana up as a character on the fly, really. Um, Austin and I sat down after the Dice Funk that Jane got killed and was like, let's create a new character! And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And I was like, and then when Johnny asked me, well, what's your backstory? I was like, "Mm, it's not as involved as Jane's, but here it is. And he's like, okay, I can work with that, that's fine. So, yeah, but Alana was more on the fly, which is really funny given the fact that she ended the world, so... (laughs)
2: I would have loved to have been able to, like, to have worked Jane's backstory, Alana's backstory into the plot more, but it was kind of late in the campaign already, and wheels were sort of in motion, and it was, like, I looked, I looked for a way to get her father in there to kind of bring her father back, but...
1: Oh, God, that would have been, like, so bad for him, though, because she would Oh, dead. I know,
2: I know, but <laughs> it, it, would have been, it would have been a good episode. It would have been, a like, a nice ca- uh, character reveal. It would have been nice drama, but, you know, by the time you came around, like, you know, Fero's, like, the military takeover was in full effect. Uh, Gorfanax was already turning. Like, the, the ransom exchange was happening imminently. Like, it was... Things were... The end was nigh. Okay. yeah.
1: And, and that's cool. Like, I didn't, I didn't really mind that because I feel like, um, you know, Johnny was nice enough to uh, tell me right before it happened, uh, that Jane was going to be coming back as a ghost. But I didn't know that was going to happen until (laughs) literally five seconds before it did.
2: I I dropped that on Jess. I'm like, guess what? You're going to get a chance to say some shit.
0: (laughs) You could hear it in the recording because you you typed a Skype message to her. There was like a pause, and then she repeated the thing you said. So, yeah, I have to once again just want to stress how little of this was planned.
1: (laughs) Like, I know that, yeah, that Johnny was obviously planning some shit, but like when we went back to the house and like the body house, it was like, okay, we'll go back to the body house, sure. And then he was like, by the way, get ready for some shit. And I'm like, oh God, why are you doing this to me?
0: Why you do this.
1: But I am very happy that uh, Jane actually got to tell Ronaldo to his face that he's a fucking murderer. So that's kind of nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the bad guy. All right. Yeah, um... good
0: friends. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Alexander Arts asks I'd like to hear you, that's me, and Johnny's talk about your general dm principles through season one and preparing for season two this is kind of a hard question to get at but i just want to say real quickly that i've designed season two specifically to contrast with season one in a number of ways we've talked about the season structure as kind of like a final fantasy or like american horror story thing where each one is self-contained but might have like recurring elements or like you know minor references but also an important thing is contrast to me so like johnny's thing was a mystery involving pretty much all humans mine is going to be much more like a swashbuckling high adventure very few humans it's going to be taking place like not in a in a city like not an urban environment um so it's going to be very different uh deliberately and that's not something there's not anything wrong with the way johnny did things i'm just trying to do them so that they stand out and on as their own thing but is there anything specifically you wanted to talk about is your your approach to that johnny
2: one of the things that um that i like i have to stress as a dm principle is to not write too far ahead yeah mm-hmm. um, because uh, you know we had a like again you know austin says that he can't stress this enough and i i echo that sentiment where none of this was planned zero so having you know having jane die total surprise you know like um Losing track of Ulick, total surprise. Like, they had the situation in hand, and I was like, oh, geez, like, look at these guys. They got him, and they're getting out of town, and now they're being a dick to him, and he doesn't want to be around them, and okay, I guess he's running, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, that was the thing I didn't bring up in the Anne backstory, was that Ulick being a high-born kind of dick to Anne, like, triggered her memories of the guy she burned, who, who killed the kid whose family gave her the teddy bear. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, specifically, like, a PTSD, like... <laughs>
1: I wanted okay. so badly to change to Jane in that episode and tell all you motherfuckers to shut the fuck up. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that but but that is like one of the most important things. I mean, you guys may have, may be able to tell by now that my DM style is pretty story heavy. Yeah. Mhm. There's usually a there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, I like to throw a, a, not like throwaway characters, but a, a decent fist size, like a good handful of characters in there um, that all kind of bounce off each other. And the, the other thing that's really important to me is that the world keeps moving regardless of what the heroes are doing.
0: Yeah. We had a whole faction that died off-screen. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Almost. You know, like, it it was so it's it, it's crucially important for me for all of your your villains, your antagonists, your, your NPCs who aid and things like that to have plans and have designs and have things that they want to do. And if the heroes don't interfere with those plans, those plans carry out. You know, like, to kind of simulate this whole, like, like moving, breathing world of intrigue. Like, this is particularly important when it comes to, like, mysteries and things like that you need to have situations where other people are doing things that the players don't necessarily know about so that when they get back to you know their home base or the inn or something like that it's it's ransacked and everybody's mm-hmm. like what who did this you know like it it's that's kind of vital to keep the plot going you can't just wait for the heroes to show up and and you know have the villain be like ha ha i've been waiting for you and now we fight I mean, it's it's okay to run that kind of game. I'm not speaking out against it or anything like that, but it was just, it was not right for the flavor that, that I was writing. All
1: right. I think that your flavor is very awesome in that you kept the world moving. Like, when we went to the ransacked house that was doubling as his lab, like, that was obviously, hey, the world is happening while you're doing other shit. Like, deal with it. You know? <laughs> so I really liked yeah. that about your DM style. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I was very you told your story in the way that it needed to be told. Form followed function mm. and it was very good. But mine is going to be quite different. And I think t- in, in tone especially I think I've dropped Princess Bride before as a an influence also uh The Wind Waker.
1: I cannot wait to hear about this. I mean, sure. I'm going to I'm going to listen to it when I have time, but yeah. I, I'll probably have to wait every couple of episodes. So Uh, For those of you who are listening, please do not ask me what I think about season two of Dice Funk (laughs) until I actually listen to it, because God help me, if you fucking spoil it for me, I will punch you through the internet.
0: (laughs) We'll talk more about it later. Let's get back to the questions. Mm -hmm. All right. Michael Keenan asked, those miners that you guys mercilessly slaughtered in episode one or two, were they possessed by Gorfinax or something else? I believe that was episode three.
1: What? Yeah, the one, the, oh, the dudes at the very beginning who were, like, stony and, like, we slaughtered all of them. Those guys?
2: It was completely justifiable, but go ahead, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the like, um one of the things about the town is that when you first arrived in town, I, like, I tried to paint this picture of this, like, this place kind of being you know like half half dead uh like a bustling metropolis yeah lots of money and things like that but particularly guys who worked in the quarry uh were to have this like uh, uh super affected kind of disposition to them uh because the, the basically they spend their entire lives digging out Gorfinax, and you know that you you breathe that dust in that gets into your body you know so there there was like Basically, the miners were not necessarily possessed but very heavily heavily influenced by Gorfinax to the point that when when they passed away in the street uh the gorfinax was able to like ambulate them almost completely independently but that 's why uh that 's why the uh the guy that you managed to snap out of it didn 't remember what he was doing because he had basically been exposed to to gorfinax for so long uh that it was it was almost all his brain ran on. All right.
0: Okay, so yes, the g- Gorfanax was behind it.
2: Yeah, it was cocaine that
3: we killed them. Next.
1: <laughs> I love how he tries to do, like, justify all that. Anyway, it's
3: very important yes. to Leon.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Ronaldo is basically a saint. Anyway, next.
1: <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go that far, but okay.
0: <laughs> we got a number of permutations of this question, and I don't want to leave anybody out. But I mean, we have to, I kind of have to pick one. Uh, so let's let's start here. Johan asks, if Ronaldo had touched the orb and fang, touched them together back in episode 33, would that have ended the season then and there? Because he, he said at the beginning, I have a plan to destroy this entire campaign and you almost touched them together. Right.
3: I, 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 I had a fun little plan to like screw around to say, oh, what about this happened? But then when I realized that this might actually end the world, I'm like, oh, let's not do that because I actually want to keep playing. <laughs> So I decided I decided not to do that both out of character and in character, that it would be a bad idea. But I don't know what would have happened.
2: That's up to Johnny. I was trying really, really hard to throw indicators that it was a bad idea. <laughs> I, I got that indicator.
1: I did not
2: <laughs> I may I may not have the thing is I may not have decided to end the campaign there. Um, I may have, I may have dragged out the rising of Gorfinax a little bit longer.
0: At least to the end of the episode, because it was like five minutes in when he was experimenting. Oh my
2: god, that
1: would have been so bad. (laughs) By the way, guys, Ronaldo just killed everything! Bye bye see you next week for
2: the- I probably, the the rise of Gorfinax probably would have taken, like, a a completely different turn. Like, I might have made the entire city flesh, like, all at once, and have it slowly kind of cobble itself together all right into you know like a, 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 a like a present god so it would have happened it would have just been more gradual you saying it, yeah like you know it, we may have gotten maybe three more episodes out of it okay
0: I got a lot of uh, comments from people on Patreon, on Twitter, in real life, for people who listen to this show, before the finale aired, with their theories about how the items worked, and how, like, I don't think anybody got it right. I, like, the most popular thing people said to me was, like, oh, it's a, the orb is a meatball now. That means it's vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it seemed like something had changed yeah. since when Ronaldo went to touch them. And that's, I think, why I didn't have more of an objection to what Alana's plan was. It seemed to me that the situation wasn't the same as it was back when that experimentation was happening.
1: That's what I think my thought process was, too, because I was like, okay, it's fleshy and bleeding, so maybe it's actually vulnerable now. Like, that's what I really was thinking.
0: And also, we were told that stabbing Gorfinax with Gorfinax was bad, and yet it turned out good during that fight, so it definitely seemed like the rules had changed, but we'll get to that.
2: Yeah. I, I just want to, while you're on the subject, I just want to mention that it was very purposeful that you guys, I wanted you guys to consider stabbing the orb.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I know, I think that was clearly telegraphed, and a lot of people that I saw thought it was the way to go, so I don't I don't actually blame Jess at all. Oh, thank you. The questions come in. I, I think we're there, guys. Let's, let's just rip this Band-Aid off, huh? Let's go. Martin asks, was there a way for the gang to win if Jess didn't stab the orb with the fang? Yep. And Jade asks, what did the orb and fang do exactly?
2: All right, so which one do you want answered first? The first one first, I guess. Was there a way to win? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely there was. I assumed there was. How? So here's the thing, okay? Okay. (laughs) Gorfin acts even as kind of like a sleeping creature. Um, was, he's, it was basically, like, a battery kind of hooked up to himself.
0: <laughs> Science!
2: <laughs> no, so, the, the story, the story basically goes that, you know, like, Erlin had figured, like, just the right amount to feed it. Because, as it gets, as it gets hungrier, if it doesn't get fed, it gets desperate. And if it gets desperate, it starts to struggle against the prison, and like, runs the risk of, of breaking out. Like, Erlin had, had realized very, you know, like, early on, within the first hundred years or so, um, because he almost had a close call, he had two close calls, one on the very far end, and one on the very narrow end, uh, near end, pardon me, where feeding it too much gave it just a, a like, a little bit too much piss and vinegar. Um, and not feeding it enough... Because he, he hadn't figured out a way to kill it. yeah. It persisted, you know? But when it didn't get fed, it didn't get weaker, it got angry. And when it got angry, it struggled. And when it got fed too much, um, it got too powerful. And, and even just, like, lazy... Movements, if you will, threatened to break the fabric of of the balance that he had created in this prison, and he hoped that if he could keep it in prison for long enough and just cut it up and spread it around, that he would at least have disassembled it, and it wouldn't be too much of a problem. Which is why, during the course of the campaign, when you guys kept asking Erlin and asking Erlin and asking Erlen, he's like, "Listen." I don't know, I have achieved this kind of balance, and it's something that I've been doing for the like the past six hundred years, and I'm hoping it works because all the knowledge that he had like he even still had to make a guess as to whether or not this would actually work
3: okay I only kind of, I only kind of get it like sum up what was the solution to the puzzle?
0: the puzzle of flesh right phantasmagoria too. <laughs>
2: Okay, so basically, um, imagine if you will. Okay, that if if Gorfinax is this like you know battery. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Fang is what charges it, so the Fang is power into Gorfinax. Okay, and the Orb is sort of a way out. Um, so the Orb was. I mean, the the easiest way to explain it is that the Orb is kind of a measurement of of Gorfinax's presence energies, movements, like, I mean, I think in one of the, one of the episodes, somebody said, oh shit, it's like a mood ring.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, that was me. Cause it was changing colors. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: So like, yes and no, you know, I mean, that's, that's a really simple way to, to state it. Oh, it's a mood ring, but it's sort of like, it, it's, it's more a measurement of, of power output. All right. So it's like, you know, whatever it is that Gorfinax gets out of these Futures, whatever energy, whatever essence, whatever nourishment or 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 thing that kind of keeps him going, the orb is a measurement of kind of like the output and expenditure of that. So that's that's power out. So by basically plugging the dagger into the orb, you kind of put power in and power out in a loop.
1: So it was like a paradox.
2: Uh Kind of, yeah. So it's like, the thing is, is that it it kind of... <laughs> the, the, the hypothesis that I created is that it basically allowed Gorfinax to use his own, like, omnipresence, his own timelessness, his own existence as something beyond space and time to essentially jumpstart his actual existence. You basically, you used his future to... Uh, uh, to make his present possible. Okay, Johnny, I love you a lot, but in one
3: sentence, how <laughs> could we have one? Oh, um, you were supposed to plug the cord into the orb. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Neat. That's it. Huh. That's all I need to know. But uh, but the the other stuff was kind of cool. And, uh... Well, like,
2: Leon, this is not just for you. The audience... No, I understand.
3: I understand. I just... I never would have figured that Leon's out.
1: Leon's impatient. and this. <laughs> I just...
3: I just wanted to know what was the kill move.
2: So, Austin, you may recall that finally Avondra, having answered your prayers, gave you a, a, a brilliant a image, a vision of a brilliant shining orb.
0: Yeah and I thought I was trying to fill it with holiness like to to purify and cleanse it
2: from that orb a spiraling coil of also brilliant light stretched up and far off into the heavens
1: the coil was supposed to be the cord wasn't it
2: yeah
0: i just wasn't picturing it as a coil i was just picturing it as like a tentacle i guess yeah. so it's my 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 own brain thing i just didn't make the connection
2: yeah Radio. So that was that was the image. Cause the thing is is that the, the coil the coil is essentially was was Gorfanax's I don't want to say most desperate attempt, but most focused attempt to achieve a presence in this world.
0: How so like when again plopped out of the gravestone, if we had just ran up, slashed it off, and jammed it in the orb, we would have won immediately. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. If this had been a
3: point and click if this had been a point and click adventure game even if i didn't understand it i would have eventually won after a few tries cuz i always just take one object and click it on the other object until
2: something happens
0: and the plot moves forward yeah but except in this kind of game leon if you fail once it deletes your save file <laughs> no i know
2: i know so so that like the, you know my my logic behind it is is that the cord is his attempt to actually have a, a like a walking presence in this world okay. that can help further his actual appearance, his activation. So if you take that cord and then you plug basically the orb with it, his his power out floods into his attempt to control. Okie dokie. And essentially, he, he basically um, all that power that he's exerting to control something flows out of the orb, down the cord, and creates a, a different kind of feedback loop. It crosses the streams. It crosses the streams. Got it. Cool. Johnny. Yeah.
0: Toasty Jams asks the important question, how does Jack eventually defeat Gorfinax?
2: <laughs> well, um, the story goes that um, that Jack, being wily enough to avoid Lonegan, um, and uh, small enough to also escape the gaze of Gorfinax, who is just, like, glut with uh, 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 all these tantalizing, futuristic, uh, tasty mortal morsels that now exist in front of him, spends many years training deep underground in caves left behind by Gorfinax's hulking, shambling, uh, titanic uh, body. And um, many, many years from now, um, when he has become a man... Uh, hardened by battle and uh, evadance of of the the shambling possessed of of Gorfanax's future-eating spirit, he comes across the bodies of three uh, uh, able adventurers, um, and also a moose and a horse, long since turned to bones, Uh, and recognizing them as not so much the chosen ones, but the put-upon ones. He decides that it would be poetic justice indeed to fashion uh, a a a magnificent weapon from their bones. Oh my god, that's
0: ghoulish. <laughs>
2: that's fantastic. Which he which he assaults Gorfinax with finally, and um, blessed from spirits on high, uh, and screaming, no one can kill Jack. Uh, he plunges his ghoulish weapon. Uh, into Gorfanax's eye and blinds him from being able to see the futures that he so desperately wants to eat. Uh, and so Gorfanax, uh, wandering randomly around the uh, uh, the world, eventually slumps off into the ocean, unaware that he is walking to the edge of the world. And legend has it that someday, Gorfanax may return. But for the moment, Jack has delivered us. And the man with the bone sword will keep us safe.
0: That's all canon, by the way.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic.
0: Um, speaking of bone weapons, they got a, I got a double question here from Robert Paulson. Oh, my. If Alana had managed to break the dagger, would that have prevented summoning Gorfinax? And also, if the statues had gotten their hand on the dagger before Anne, would that have ended the campaign two episodes sooner? <laughs>
2: Okay. Um, the the dagger had six uses to it in the final fight, mm-hmm. and I was I was attempting to illustrate that by its continually degrading state.
0: I would say, which is also, I was I was picturing another way that final stab could have gone down. Like she plunges the dagger into the orb, it shatters because it was so damaged, and then the orb, now vulnerable as a meatball, is destroyed, and we win. Like that, in my mind, that was an equally likely. Like, scenario.
2: And and like I said, I engineered the situation for you guys to have a couple of options that all may have looked good. Yeah. I mean, if Erlen had still been alive. <laughs> oh, shit! I forgot about that. Uh, he might have said something.
1: <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> In any
3: case... I tried. I tried to, to draw their fire, and they were like,
1: nah...
0: It was 3 on 5 you were fucked. Anyway, Johnny. <laughs> so
2: in in any case, uh, the reason the reason why the dagger had limited uses was is I and and you guys picked up on this. Like I'm absolutely positive that you picked up on this is that I wanted to make it apparent that it was the only thing that could cut the cord. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I, I that I knew. That yeah. that that made sense especially when you said not only Ronaldo's sword but the guard swords came back with chinks in them. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, that's a thing."
2: So here's the thing: is that the cord after it after it got severed from Lonigan, the first thing it tried to do was possess Ronaldo. Yeah, and I would have taken your character. Leon. No, that's fine.
3: I made my strength check though, so
2: yeah, I got to live for like ten more minutes. <laughs> you did you 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 managed to you managed to say that, and it was gonna keep going after players and characters in the area. Yeah. So, it was like, I, I, you were gonna get five cuts in, and I was gonna be like, that dagger is about to break. Uh, and if it broke, no, it wouldn't expedite the, um, the, the presence of Ronaldo, but as long as the cord was going to be attached to someone, they were going to be basically unkillable. Right.
0: Yeah. So we got the first part, we cut it, we just didn't know where to put it. Yeah. Part two is the the statues.
2: Right. Um, if it had gotten... If the statues had gotten it, it, it basically would have meant that the party was pretty much dead anyway. So that would have been... It would have been game end, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because
0: they were just too gosh dang powerful. Um, Christopher S. asks, uh, When Emma and Tamsin fought, Tamsin called out, The Crane killed father. What was that about?
2: Yeah, this is, this is one of those things that's in my plot Bible that um, uh, uh, never came across. Uh, you guys did not spend a lot of time with Fallon, the guy who runs the soup kitchen. Right. Um, the, only, the only characters who spent any time with him, um, I think, were... I mean, everybody met him, but the only time Anne met him was when they returned there to find Silas and um, Ulick... And Emma. And Emma, um, with I think uh, Joseph was was it was it Joseph? Mm. No, Carl. Uh, with Carl out getting medicine for the um, for the wounded because uh, Silas was unconscious and and Emma was not well. Um, so yeah, there was there's a whole there's a whole section in my plot bible that's about uh, like Fallon's story, where Fallon is 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 basically uh, Emma and Tamson's adopted father, uh, adoptive father.
1: Jane knew that because Jane spent a little bit of time with him and learned that from him. Yeah. That he looked after them.
2: So, you know, like, I have some... Um, I have... There's, there's a bunch of... Um, there's a bunch of dialogue um, that, uh, that's about... Like, his, his story of how he came to looking after them. Uh, and the story goes... After the Grieg twins, because it was Emma and Tamsin Grieg... Uh, that, that was their name, were orphaned, mother dead at birth, father a casualty of the quarry. Uh, he took up care of them, being the man responsible for the death of their father with an improperly tied knot on a block being hoisted out of the well. The block swung out, causing undue strain on the hoist, breaking the wood supports, which shattered into splinters and killed its attendants, Colin Grieg being one of them. Uh, these days, Fallon stays with his adopted daughter, Emma, and runs charity work out of their house for those unable to receive it at the churches in town. So, um, the the story is, is that Tamsin, very angry about the death of her father, and very angry about uh, Erland's exploitation of the, the, the citizens of Stoneroot, uh, in order to, because as she saw it, uh, lots of people being killed in a quarry uh, to line uh, the Lord's Pockets, despite the fact that he was like, we need to take apart this god. Uh, Whereas Emma reacted in a way that she felt like uh, other unfortunate people... Uh, who have also lost family and and suffered damage in this town need the relief uh, of of healers and charity and and worship and and love and faith and things like that. So Tamsin created a little gang that rose in power over time, uh, and and Emma, um, who hung out with her a little while and had like a bit of a a, a rough and tumble kind of uh, reputation, gave it up and was like, no, this is not the way. You know, we're just making people more miserable, uh, and and turned her faith to, um, uh, ah, shit, um, I can't remember the god. Elmater. Elmater, thank you.
0: Yeah, I feel like you actually got most of that across, like, I felt like I had a pretty good map of that, but...
2: I, I don't, I don't know, you know, like, it's, it's really difficult to, to tell whether or not the, the stuff that I was telling you guys was, was expressing that properly,
0: yeah, it's hard cuz you don't want to you don't want to just you have to try to show not tell, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I I don't want to be like, "Oh, a man opens the door. He's got one eye and also he's the adoptive father of the twins." Oh! <laughs> yeah. I think you I think you did a really good job. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> Welcome. Both Consumer Skeleton and Declan Burningham asks, "What are your guys' favorite individual moments for your characters?" That you're most proud of?
3: Uh, I'd have to say doing the Ronaldo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was good.
3: Yeah, uh, that was not even immediately afterwards where, you know, the, the fight, which was a lot of cool roles. But just thinking of that, that was fun. And uh, I like that um, we somehow argued that it was inspiration and that I got it on the second roll. <laughs> so that was fun.
0: We only had like two inspiration moments during the entire campaign. We made both count.
3: They were good. They were both they were both me trying really hard to get these two things done. Uh so that I guess that one.
1: Uh for Jane, it would be the last conversation she had with Anne because I think at that moment Anne uh Jane kind of realized that it would be stupid to kill Anne because she's <laughs> very attached to Anne. So that would be fucking stupid to sell her out too. So she was trying to figure out a way to do that. But I really, th- I really liked the conversation that Anne and Jane had about opening up and like actually, cause I remember that Johnny said during that conversation at some point, he said, you've never heard the word family out of Jane's mouth like ever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I-, I gotta say that in that moment, I think Jane considered Anne to be her family.
2: Oh, Cause yeah, yeah, we were Jess and I were in league at that point in time. We had yeah. we had recorded our secret episode by then. It was yeah, <clears throat> that was a good moment. Yeah,
1: and then uh, the other, and then for Alana, um, actually being the party member that killed Ronaldo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> kind of, I mean, indirectly, yeah. in- indirectly, but yeah, kind of. She caused your death.
3: And yeah, from, yeah. from
2: a philosophical standpoint, that is just as good. Yes, that's so true. no
1: one kill, can kill Ronaldo. Yeah, you're right. No one could kill Ronaldo like a god had to kill you. But it was my intervention that yeah. allowed that god to rise. So you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks.
0: I think my favorite moment playing Anne. And I, uh, Alexander Arts also asked uh, basically this question. Anne was a psychotic religious zealot and an idiot. Not really the type you'd root for. Tell us your feelings on role-playing her um for me it was setting up this idea that she was uh like secretly psychotic in the i think episode three when we beat up those minors she threatened to melt that dude's face even though he was
1: yeah, she did. he was
0: clearly mind-controlled and there was no call for it and to that point i had been playing her very like cutesy comic relief so like i set that and then when she burned ronaldo's face i felt like i could sp- i sprung that basically um and brought it home, and then and then again played into that speech uh, before she went down in the hole near the end about how she burned someone in, in Thin Mint. So I feel like that, this this kind of, uh, oh, like almost a subplot of face burning <laughs> that I pulled <laughs> off at the beginning, middle, and end of the campaign was really my favorite. As far as role-playing her, I think if you listen to the first episode, you, you probably remember that that was not at all the character I intended to play. No!
1: <laughs> I remember the when role. you, when we first did the rolls for the, the, you were like, oh my God, I rolled a three. And then yeah. you were like, what if I put this into intelligence? And I was like, thinking <laughs> to myself, oh my God, no, please don't. And then you did. And then I was like, uh, but it came out for the best. I really don't think that this campaign would have been as fun if we did not have somebody with that low of an intelligence, to be honest with you.
3: It was a good group.
1: The fact that you kept calling it Thin Mints is kind of yeah. great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she w- she was a total blast to play. I was really I was the thing I was worried about was that people would find her unlikably stupid. I remember when I burned the bar down and killed all those people inside. When we ended that recording, I just like put my head in my hands and was like, "Oh God, everyone's gonna hate me." Oh, that was so good though.
1: They took it pretty well.
0: <laughs> I, everyone was super chill about it. I'm actually like super thankful that everyone was really receptive to all the risks we took. That secret recording that you and Johnny did, Jess, the the ending where we essentially failed, and, yeah, that my, I don't know what you want to call it, the massacre I enacted on those people, (laughs) I feel like all could have been uh, deal-breakers for listeners, but they were all, like, really uh, along for the ride with us, which was cool. Well,
1: I feel like the one thing that I really enjoyed about this campaign overall, which ties into the characters, was... When I was first having this idea, I really was thinking of, like, the kind of, like, like a Magneto twist in sort of way. Like, not, like, complete full-on dictator, but enough where, yeah, I agree with the main characters, but at the same time, I got my own fucking agenda to deal with. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that came through on the on the secret recording, especially when I was talking to Erlin and, um you know, telling him, like, all these things, like, I want to just not deal with these things. And he was like, all right, fine, that's cool. <laughs> so. Yeah. A- had I known what we know now about Erlen, I probably would have played that a lot different. But, obviously, because I thought he was the villain, that's why I was working with him.
0: Right? Yeah. Ch-ch-ch. Jade asks, what was the purpose of Erlin and Ulick's Monk Academy? Ooh. What's, what was up with those fucking monks, Johnny?
2: <laughs> the, this is the thing, is that, like, um, Erlin, uh, throughout, like, the, the course of his entire life, basically figured out that he was totally incapable of doing all the things that he wanted to do around the city. So he basically had, um, like, a legacy of retainers that would look after, you know, the things that needed to be done so he would he would very purposefully select very skilled individuals such as Lonigan to basically run all the undesirable stuff that that needed to be done because he couldn't just he couldn't just very well like be like well, uh, I guess it's time to cut my son's dick off at home <laughs> it, because then he like he's obviously he's running the risk of like you know uh um anybody in the city seeing something sure." yeah uh um you know, somebody on staff blabbing or something like that, but if if he kept everything a day's travel away, right. not too far, not too close, so that was all Erlen knew about
0: all of that, right like oh yeah, totally. And he sent us. To, he sent us there. Uh, what? Assuming we would fail?
2: No, no. He sent you there and informed Lonigan. He was like, "Okay, listen. So there's going to be a couple of people who are coming to look in on my son." And oh yeah, show them a Rando student and lie. And <laughs> yeah, right. the easiest thing to do would be to convince these idiots because he was not impressed with you at the time. He was yeah. like, "The easiest thing to do would be to show these idiots somebody who you know." Looks like my son. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, hey, everything's great, haha." Ha. Who are you guys? My dad? Ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> Saw right through that. <laughs> you did see right through that, and it's funny because I I thought that was gonna work. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, Johnny. I actually have a question related to that. Um, like, what was Lonigan's plan exactly? Did did he want to make Gorfinax rise, and what would his role even be? I mean, if the world blew up. That's the part that confuses me.
2: Yeah. So the thing is, is that in sort of in order to be Erland's right-hand man, um, Lonnegan was – and this is the thing. Lonnegan was a regular dude, okay? So like Erland was this like 600-year-old magister, you know, research magnet, business mogul, just like all-around granddad that you really want to have. Lonnegan was a regular human. Lonnegan was a mortal. Um and just the latest in a line of very specialized employees that Erlin had taken on to uh manage as I said the undesirable aspects of of having to keep Gorfinax in that sweet spot right so when Lonnegan was exposed to all this information about Gorfinax and what Gorfinax was and what Gorfinax was capable of, and um he he took a particular interest in it and Got a little greedy. Was like, wow, you know, like these are powers that if we can harness them properly, we could actually like he he was he was able to kind of uh, conjugate uh, Gorfinax's um, ability to attract people because mm-hmm. I I believe at some point in time I said that that Stone Root wasn't even supposed to be a city initially. Yeah. It was just supposed to be a place where you know uh, Erlin could watch over things and make sure that that gorfinax was where it was supposed to be and i mentioned this earlier in the podcast too or this particular podcast that gorfinax was lucky that he drew people that there was like a pole that he had that that forces just kind of converged on him So Lanigan didn't want to blow up the world he just wanted gorfinax's power he wanted, he wanted Gorfinax's power, but, okay. um, through, uh, an accident with, uh, his, his teleporter door. <laughs> Oops.
1: Wound up in Gorfinax. <laughs> uh, he,
2: okay. he, he got Gorfinaxed, is what okay. he got. And then, you know, colliding with Gorfinax, it was like, finally he sort of felt like he was harnessing the power. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like one of the reasons why Gorfinax kind of like bonded to him because, uh, Lonegan was like, oh shit, this is This is pimp as fuck, yo. (laughs) And X was like, okay, great. Like, you know, go forward and spread my name. Cool. So when when you cut the cord, he was still like... He was still down for fighting you guys because it was something he wanted back. He had a taste of that power. And and he was ready to to take it back again.
0: (laughs) And then we pin-cushioned him.
2: You did not pin-cushion him. Two of the Akamorian guards pin-cushioned him.
1: I stabbed him in the eye.
0: No, it was the brainstem. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I bet he got pincushioned. I got another Dr. Jade question here, another uh, Professor Jade joint. What other books should have been read in the library? Johnny repeatedly hinted that something was missed there. I've, I've already said my thoughts on that sitch,
2: but Johnny, what was, uh, what was waiting for us on those shelves? Oh, you know what? I can't even remember which books you read and which books you didn't.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. Answer me this. Riddle me this, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, the the creepy librarian who was hinting shit what was his deal and what is the truth of what happened back in thin mints because my backstory didn't really specify i was kind of playing calvin ball with it
2: <laughs> so the librarian had been privy uh over the years because we talked about the, the culling i think i called it um where every so many years or something like that they would come in and rifle through texts and try and like uh, remove all the books that have references to Gorfinax in them because Erlin really, really, really wanted to keep it a secret what was actually going on. Uh, he was not interested in all, in people coming knocking around and being like, I read about this thing called Gorfinax, what's going on? So the librarian had had access to Gorfinax writings all like the whole time he'd been running the library which is like uh uh he was he was supposed to be really really very old, so he was he was keenly aware of like of gorfinax's divine leanings towards like you know the realm of luck and uh and Evandra and things like that uh and he was he was there when he was present when you burned that man's face and was exiled from the church. He he saw the whole thing. Oh, okay. Which is why he was horrified when he when he met you. Oh shit. And through his like readings and research of of these like forbidden texts and things like that came to the understanding that it was like okay, something is going on here between Gorfinax and Evandra. Mm. So he he was he was like I think you have something to do with this. Ah. Oh.
0: In his defense, it, we did fuck up and ended up doing the thing, so he was totally justified. Okay.
2: So there were, there were I think, three books altogether. Uh, there was a geological survey. Uh, there was an anthropology book. I think those were the two ones that you read.
0: We read three, and there was a religious text because someone made fun of us that Ronaldo read the religious one, and I read the <laughs> geological. One oh yeah, yeah, right,
2: right, right. There was a there was a religious text as well. Um, there was also there was a journal. Yep, we read that too. So which? Yeah,
1: because that's when you guys discovered that the druids had something to do with it, right?
0: Right. Yeah, and then I read another book about the druids specifically. So we read a bunch of books, which is why I was like so antsy to get out of there because I didn't want to bore people. Yeah, yeah. You know but we read a bunch of books which is why i kept uh,
2: chafing at the idea that we didn't try hard enough i'm sorry i'm just looking through my notes right here and i'm trying to find like i can't remember what you guys read and what you didn't i early on in my in my plot bible i started using like highlighting as a way to like um mark what i had written but you guys hadn't you know mm-hmm. done or something
0: yeah, so earlier someone asked what are differences in DM styles. Here's another one. Johnny has 75 pages for his. Mine is 3. <laughs> yeah. When I started, it was shorter. No, but I'm not going to add to it. My DM style <laughs> My DM style is to make a list of characters, a list of locations, and a list of uh like miscellany and then just improv the rest, baby. And it worked the one time I tried it, so. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll Do see. our best. Yeah. It's okay if you don't have those books. It was just a just a thought.
2: Yeah. The, like the the ones the ones that I I have like specifically is that there's the journal, there's a geological survey, there's an anthropology book, um, and and yeah, the, well the anthropology book is the religious one because that's the one that's religions of the Caldhu regions.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and also for any listeners who didn't pick up you name dropped a bunch of seemingly random and non-useful names but oh. those were a lot of those were yeah. listeners fan artists patreon backers just like just cool people who help us do this thing so
2: there were there were a couple people who like you know on a saturday or something like that i'd get an at at twitter that's like i can't believe you brought me really into your campaign <laughs>
1: Also,
0: some of the random dead bodies we found. I remember in the aftermath of the the quarry, you yeah. found uh, Joseph Tombrello's corpse. Yeah. He was like,
2: "Yeah, I died in a fire." Poor Joseph. <laughs> he died heroically. Yeah. you did well, Joseph. You did well. <laughs> yeah, there's
0: a bunch of that. That's that'll probably be going into season two as well. If you want to just be in our orbit, I like we have so many people who are like on this train with us, and it makes me feel amazing. Mm. It's it's pretty incredible.
1: Austin, uh, since I will not actually be in season two, but as an homage to season one, if you could plan for me to die in a weird way, I'd be (laughs) cool with that.
2: (laughs) Maybe we'll get Ronaldo to kill Jess. Or uh, Leon. Because there will no be Ronaldo. I'm sorry. There will be no Ronaldo. Yeah,
1: like Jess dies by Pike incident. (laughs) Like, who cares?
2: Wow. Just make it happen. I can write you into my character history, Jess, if you want. Because there's a lot of death in it.
1: That'd be fantastic.
0: I do want to be clear that since the world ended in this one, it is going to be like a separate continuity. Technically, it's not a right. super big deal, but um, maybe Jess will be, or Jess and Ronaldo will be like the Sid of like a Final Fantasy. There's always a Sid or like a, the Chocobos or something Lugals. <laughs> maybe that appear in each one.
3: Maybe maybe this takes place uh, in an alternate reality where we won. Uh, so you can figure that out. <laughs>
1: There's like a lot of possibilities, but no, I mean even if it's like one of those things or or the other thing was, uh somebody private messaged me on Tumblr actually and said, "Hey, I love you on Dice Funk. Do you think that you could potentially cameo as an NPC in season 2?" And I was like, <laughs> "I don't know, but if it's going to happen, it's got to be like really early on in season 2." <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, like you're just in the background of a scene and you immediately take an arrow to the throat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or I tell, or, you know, like the like the classic uh, bar story where, like, the party walks into a bar and there's that old dude sitting at the bar, like, having a drink, and then they tell he goes, gather around, children, I'm gonna tell you stuff, and then I'm gonna send you somewhere. Like, yep. you know, that kind of thing. So I, I'm not really adverse to what you want to do to my corpse i'm just just saying do something funny to it is all i ask
0: (laughs) yeah do you guys want another question sure yeah harrison andrew asks favorite npc obviously dr cash money and the pimpest kid alive are fighting for my affections i don't know if i could pick jack or cash money with a gun to my head like i love them both so dearly
3: mine is silas uh obviously yeah. uh that was that was something i actually wanted to talk about so great great uh segue um it sucks that there was no conclusion to the cyrus uh the silas uh subplot Um, uh, because that was not i mean i don't think johnny wrote like a huge extensive character backstory for a random guy that we were going to meet he just ended up being a character <laughs> because yeah. Ronaldo totally was, improvised on the spot yeah because Ronaldo was into him
1: I still can't believe that you rolled that well (laughs) against him and got him to, like, love you. (laughs)
3: It was awesome. Um, What what I wanted to happen, if we had won, was uh, Ronaldo was going to go looking for Silas. And either they would have, you know, ended up together or Silas might have been like, you don't really seem like my type. You're (laughs) you're, you're not that great of a guy. Um, Because Silas seemed like a little more upright, uh, let's say. But, um, I don't know how that would have worked out, but I really would wish we could have uh, explored that towards the end. But um, it all kerploded.
0: It was a tragic love story. Yeah.
3: <laughs> the last time uh, Silas saw Ronaldo was when they were talking, but the last time Ronaldo saw Silas was when he was unconscious and he sang to him. Uh, <laughs> but nothing... Which
1: was adorable, by the way. <laughs> Thank
3: you. But nothing uh, Nothing occurred. But, you know, that's just the way it goes. You, you take root A and sometimes you don't see root B.
0: That's it. Yeah, that's kind of a sweet like final scene, though. Yeah.
1: Uh, my favorite NPC was all the arms that I took as a dire wolf. <laughs> <laughs> the collection.
0: <laughs> lefty, righty, righty, and half of lefty too. <laughs>
2: lefty yes, Junior. Exactly. And lefty other righty. <laughs> oh, other righty. No one could tell a joke like you. All right.
0: You never really addressed why Jane was amassing an arm collection. Was that just a a fucking druid thing?
1: No, I think that's really, like, what her quirk was as a direwolf. Like, I don't think that it was, like, meant to be anything other than, hey, I'm just gonna collect these arms that I keep ripping off as, like, a memento to the fact that I am awesome as a direwolf." <laughs> like, I didn't really think there was, like, an actual other reason other than, hey, look at me be badass and shit. Like, I'm not even gonna lie about that. <laughs>
0: I do like it as a setup to the punchline of when you got killed in the twist, one of the guards coming over to your dead body and finding arms in your pouch.
1: (laughs) I feel like, I feel like that would have been like one of those things where somebody in the back room would have been like, yo, did you hear like Alana probably heard about like, Hey, did you hear that that lady had like a bunch of dead arms with her? (laughs) Like bloody stubs. Like what the shit? (laughs) So I feel like that, that, that was a really good call on my part to steal other people's arms. Um, <laughs> I don't do that in real life, just so you know.
0: <laughs> I did not know that was up for debate. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I, I would like to say that I really enjoyed writing Erland the, the most. Okay. Uh, I think
1: that, you yeah, it really shows that you loved Erland the most out of your NPCs, because you made it so nuanced in that we originally thought he was a villain. Then you were like, "Oh, he's the antagonist," and then he kind of turned into a good guy. And then when he died, I was like, "Oh God, I'm so sad." <laughs>
2: yeah when he when he died, I was like, I was like, "Yes, <laughs> oh.
0: we le- we really let him down." Yeah, we sure did. <laughs>
1: At least he died before he got Gorfinexed, so I guess yeah. that's a good thing. All
2: right. I do
0: like the idea, because like, he thought we were idiots, and then he like slowly came to trust us after we saved him, and he was like, wow, you guys are the luckiest sons of bitches. <sighs> and then he like finally had confidence uh, in us, and then we got him down and he died! Yep. <laughs> like, Can you
2: imagine his final thought?
1: And then literally five minutes after he's dead, we ended the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, his his final thoughts, he knew it. He was like, he knew it. Yeah, he yeah. knew it was the end, not just for him.
0: For everybody, yeah. He's like, at least I tried. All right. Alexis David asks, most infuriatingly, that's hard to say, infuriatingly frustrating moment, character related for each of you.
1: Like to our characters or to other characters?
0: I was, well, what I was going to say was the most infuriating character moment for me was that conversation we had outside the gate where we ended up <laughs> ending Ditto. the episode and. Throwing it, to, yeah, throwing it to a Twitter poll. I, both in character and out of character, found that an unacceptable way to handle the situation. <laughs> yep, it worked I'll... out. It, it worked out, and it was funny. And I think the result was one of my favorite episodes. So I'm not even like mad about it. But
3: <laughs> in the moment, I was, yeah, I just, I, I did not like that at all. But it did work out okay.
0: I think we did that a, a lot, like turning hay into gold, as far, yeah, as far, yeah. As, far as stuff like that.
1: Uh, I think my most infuriating moment was when Ronaldo killed Jane. Well, sure. <laughs> you did it
0: on purpose, though, he was established.
1: I know, but it was still infuriating. It was gross.
0: It was <laughs> really like,
1: gross. I'm not going to lie about how angry I was that I had to make a new character if I wanted to continue in season one of Dice Funk. Like, that was just so not cool. Um oh, well. But I gotta say, like, the runner-up to that um, would probably have to be Every time Austin made an intelligence check and Mm -hmm. failed.
3: (laughs) Those were fun.
0: Every time the concept of an intelligence check was brought up, everyone collapsed in laughter. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) I really, I really, really liked, really liked that trying to divine some kind of meaning from your vision intelligence check right at the end. Yep.
1: Oh my god, that was so funny.
2: Yeah.
0: That was the final, like, Shakespearean... The setup coming home to roost thing. And I was like, if only she was smarter, it all would have turned out differently. It was it was, it was, was kind of lovely.
1: I mean, I'm serious. Like, if Anne had, like, an intelligence of even, like, you know, nine, <laughs> she probably would have, like, figured some of the shit out, you know? You
2: were- I was giving you 50-50 odds. Yeah? If you had rolled 11, I would have given it to you.
0: Jesus. <sighs> yeah the whole the whole campaign and we joked about this in episode one I said I'm gonna put the three in intelligence what's the worst that could happen and (laughs) hey the question was answered 36 (laughs) hours later what's the worst that could happen the world ends everyone dies wow hilarious Johnny Wombat Joe asks, has Johnny read Moore's Swamp Thing? He described something in the finale that made me think of American Gothic. I don't know what that means. It sounds like comic
1: book stuff. Yeah,
2: Alan, Alan Moore, uh, the author, the creator, I should say, actually, of Swamp Thing. Yeah. I I have, but it's been many years since. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if maybe there was some kind of like morsel of it lodged in the back of my brain that um, I, I pulled on. You know, like, there's, I, I grabbed, I grabbed a lot, like, I, I there, there were, there were a lot of things in this world that kind of inspired me to write this campaign, so, and I, you know, from what I remember of it, and I'm talking, like, like, 20 plus years, I think, yeah. since I've read Swamp Thing, so it's, it's a vague memory at this point in time.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've read Swamp Thing since, like, 2000. <laughs>
2: I mean,
0: with any creative endeavor, you bring into it your entire life experience of yeah. consuming art. So that's not at all surprising. Let's see here. Uh, Athos asks, favorite Dice Funk running gag? I think...
1: Squirtle Squad.
0: Shit. I was definitely thinking <laughs> me giving people garbage nicknames. I think, was it Senator <laughs> Suck Shit and President <laughs> Punk Ass or whatever I called those two fucks? Thin Mints. Uh, all all those-, those names I kept giving everyone because Anne is too stupid to remember them.
2: What was it? What was it that you called Friedrich again? Oh God! It was
0: Friedrich. Yeah, she liked Friedrich.
1: He he had a terrible end too. God.
3: Who killed Friedrich? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Fira. Oh, Okay.
1: I kind of figured. Yeah.
0: She's bad. I told you. Don't join her. Oh yeah, I said. I said that when we when we were in the jail. <laughs> when I said no more secrets, I think I said out loud that Firo killed Friedrich. Anyway. Okay.
3: All right, Um, my favorite, you know, running thing was uh, Ronaldo's catchphrase. That's it, that's all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would never say my catchphrase, I think, was just, Hi, I'm Anne, yeah. and I gotta be honest, I think you smoked me. I think no one could kill Ronaldo is better. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I liked, um, I mean, oh man, there were so many good running gags, though, but uh, Squirtle Squad was definitely my fave, uh, but I gotta say, a close second was definitely whenever you said thin mints cuz i tried so hard not to laugh
2: i i would have to say um whenever you guys asked erlin what to do next
1: <laughs> i i could just hear the annoyance in your in your voice
2: listen towards
3: the end you started doing it at the at the last episode and i like out of character like said guys johnny's not going to tell us what to do okay
0: <laughs> i know I knew it too, honestly. I just kept hoping that we were going to frustrate him into giving an inch. I knew that it was, not, it was Here's the supposed solution. to be a dead end. No, I didn't want it to give it away. Here's the thing. He kept saying, I'm 600 years old. I'm 600 years old. Also, I don't have any helpful information.
2: I didn't know. <laughs> no, the point, the point of it was is that this was a brand new
3: situation to him. He didn't yeah. know. Johnny, Johnny can't be like the little skull you press in Phantasmagoria that tells you what you have to do next so you know
0: i know no i mean seeing it all laid bare like he we had the tools it was just we chose between stabbing the orb and plugging the cord in based on my vision also i no one supported my choice to pray i think in in hindsight that was actually a pretty cool thing i pulled out there that should have led us to the right answer but
2: all right. i was i was surprised yeah I was like, I like at that point in time I was like, uh they're gonna do it. They're gonna they're gonna die. Like, that's that's it. It's it's over, it's over. And then you were like, I pray, and I'm like, huh? You turned into Tim Allen. I can do something with this
1: <clears throat>
0: Yeah. It was uh very earthbound. Christopher S asks, will Ronaldo return for a future season of Dice Funk? Please. It feels like his journey just took an interesting turn.
3: Yeah, uh, we, we I, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I spoke to Austin before uh, the end of season one and said, you know, if Bernardo survives, I would like him to be in season two. And Austin was like hesitant at first, but he was like, yeah, if, if he survives, we can make that happen for you. And I was all set for it that he died. So there's there's nothing to be done. I'm playing a new character. I've already rolled it up. I just have to like plug in like one more thing and then send it to Austin tonight. And then that's it. I mean that's the story. He's dead. I mean there's nothing to be yeah. done about it. I'm not gonna do a prequel where where we have where we have like young Ronaldo age twelve.
1: Austin, am I allowed to tell him what you said to me about how uh how upset you would have been if you found out that Ronaldo was going to die?
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give too much away because I guys, I've been sitting on a truth about season two for weeks now and it is eating me up inside. Next week Oh Oh guys, Leon is going to hate fuck my campaign with his stupid character. (laughs) It's going
3: to be so great.
1: No, no, the only thing I was going to say was that Austin and I had a conversation where Austin was like, oh my god, I really hope that Ronaldo, like, like, survives this campaign for the love of god, and I was like, I kind of was like, okay, and then I was like, you know, I kind of do too, because ronaldo even though i kind of hate ronaldo yeah. as a character he does seem like he's like the most fun to play even though he's like kind of a dick yeah so that's all i was gonna say austin i wasn't yeah. gonna like say anything else but right. yeah austin has expressed to me how angry he was he would be if if ronaldo did not survive to season two yeah
3: the, the reason I, i'm not gonna say what it is but austin does not like a certain aspect. Of my new character at all
1: oh I can't wait to find out what that is
3: and um <laughs> and it's like it's like deal with it I I, I I make pretty entertaining characters I think and I think that the audience will like it even if Austin does not so
0: you are the most popular in season one and if I know anything about people you will be the most popular in season two yeah <laughs> and I Look, th- I just have to live in this pain <laughs> and and draw strength from it.
1: I'm actually really excited to hear about the other people's characters, um, especially like Johnny's and mm-hmm. like, because I know how Ronaldo plays, like how Leon plays Ronaldo. Like, I don't really know a lot about other player character styles like sketches. Or Johnny's like I know how he is as a DM, but I don't know how he is as a player character. So, and then you said there was one other person, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. The roster for season two is: I am Dungeon Master Johnny and Liana returning as players, and then Michael Skitch, Skitchiano, who's actually the person I learned to play D anD D from, is going to join us. And my friend Lauren Morgan is going to play. So there'll be four player characters instead of three, which is a bad idea, but we're doing it anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, I can't wait to hear all the kind of crazy shenanigans you guys are going to get into, so that'll be fun.
0: But yeah, to answer the question, no player characters are returning, although it was an option on the table until Ronaldo died. Yeah. It's going to be, as far as everyone is concerned, an alternate continuity, a new universe, wipe the slates clean, Final Fantasy 1 to Final Fantasy 2 style. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, also, I, I'm calling them Season 1 and Season 2, but I'm also thinking about how sometimes parts get names like American Horror Story has like American Horror Story Coven and American Horror Story Asylum. Yeah. And like Jojo has Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency and Stardust Crusaders are the names of the parts. I think Johnny and tell me if you don't like this. Mm -hmm. I think part one is Stone Root, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that.
0: Because uh, I have a name for season two. It's also just where it takes place. Essentially. I don't know if it's not really like a spoiler, but I have an idea for that too, so All right. I think that might be the naming convention going forward. I'm excited for there to be people with opinions on this thing we've made. Like, oh, I really liked the, the dark horror vibe of one, and I think <laughs> they went a little too soft in season two. Oh, but I really liked Leon's character in season two. Like, you oh, know what okay, I'm saying? Well. Like, everyone has a favorite doctor <laughs> <laughs> or a James Bond.
1: Yeah, that's true. Oh, God. <laughs>
3: I have, I have, like, a bunch of, like, big, uh actually, it, I already said the, the Silas one, so I have, like, one more big thing to say, but if we have more uh, questions, we can do that first. I don't know how much time we have.
0: uh You'd think we'd be running low on questions. I'm going to try to hit the couple really unique ones, and then we'll call it, because we could just be here all night. All right. Uh, EWC asks, if the player characters hadn't existed, what would have happened? Would it have still been a God rises, everybody dies? Nope. Nope? Nope. No?
2: Um, What probably would have happened um, is, I imagine, Lonigan may have felt like it wasn't time to strike yet. Uh, One of the reasons why I had him strike when he did was because there was so much stuff going on. Um, Erlin, normally, uh, Erlin is supposed to be a very alert character. He's supposed to have his uh, eyes on just about everything at all times. So... Um, the reason why um, his attention to Gorfinax lapsed um, was because he had so many things going on at the same time. The Akamorians were threatening him. Uh, they were secretly invading the town. Um, they were... Uh, he was trying to get his, as he saw it at the time, kidnapped son. Uh, because he knew that his son was at the school in Rotswald. He knew that. Um, so when Lonegan was like, came to Erlen and was like, okay, somebody broke your son out, and he was like, oh, fuck, you know, this is not good. We have to feed Gorfinax, and, you know, it might only be my Horcrux, that, that can do it without having to die, because, he, like, he needed Ulik back, because he didn't want anybody to die. Um, so, if you guys had not interfered with Yulik's captivity, Lonegan probably would have felt a little too afraid to act.
0: And so the cycle would have just continued, is what you're saying? The
2: cycle would have continued, yeah, okay. in in whatever horrible perpetuity uh, uh, that was.
0: Right. So it's
2: it's really double our fault
0: squared. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I think this will be the last question. All right. Um, okay. I, I
3: have a thing to say at the end, but yeah, go ahead with the last question.
0: Yeah. I think we all have like one or two more things to say. But, okay. Uh, can Johnny give us a basic synopsis of any alternate endings of mm-hmm. the campaign? Is there any other way that you'd envision this going down? I'd like to hear that, too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, you see, because here's the thing is that, like, uh, you know, when we were talking about DM principles and I said never, never write too far ahead. Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the worst things that you can do as a, as a DM is spend, like, eight hours writing a week only to discover that two of those hours have been played. And then you 've got like six hours of writing that are like, "Oh well, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? That all goes out the window, so like you know what if Jane had survived and Ronaldo had been captured? What if Jane had survived but Ronaldo had been killed? like what kind of character was Leon going to roll? You know Would they have sided with Firo? Would they have actually come to understand that Erlin was trying to keep everybody safe and that he was battling a much worse force than you know a bunch of warrior monks in a pastoral town uh what if the what if the, the party had secured eulix's freedom and got back to stone root with him intact you know how would tamsin had made her move uh, would there have been something like that happened to her you know would they learn about emma like these are all things that could have happened very easily in the story. You know, like there was one episode where I was absolutely certain that Ronaldo was going to start a fight with Danian. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs>
0: he was getting close. You were just mean to him.
3: You
2: know? And, and so like what happens then, what happens when like one of the most beloved charities and churches in town is assaulted by, assaulted by one of the player characters. You know, what if, what if um, the vote had gone a different way? What if, what if they decided to go with uh, Ronaldo's plans? What if Anne had never started the fire you know? Um, what if the Akamorians had never decided to raid Erlin's residence because, like, let's say Jane survived, and, you know, she was there looking after shit or something like that? Like, what what information would the party have learned if any of these things had happened? The whole campaign would be different. And it's a stupid idea, as a dungeon master and as a writer, to write all of these endings when you're doing a tabletop game. When you're doing a video game, totally makes sense, because people can load the game and change their decision, and, you know, do this and do that, but there's a reason why you can do a tabletop D&D game every week, but it takes years to make an RPG uh, for video games. Years. Because you need to write all those endings, and you've got hundreds of people, if you're fucking lucky and rich, to do it. This was just me, man, and the three people who were happy to blunder through the shit that I was writing um, in whatever fashion they decided was appropriate that week. So yeah. there were there were a shit ton of other things that, that could have happened that could have ended. Maybe Firo would have been one of the good guys. Maybe they would have thought that Erlin was a villain all along, you know? Maybe they would have mm-hmm. been fighting with the Akamorians uh, in Rotswald against Erlin. Maybe Erlin might have been possessed by Gorfinax. Yeah. Any any of these things could happen. It was all on the table.
1: What level was Erlen?
2: <laughs> I, I kind of... Is he of, an
1: epic level character? That's what I'm asking. I, I
2: fudged some rules uh, when, it, when it came to um, uh, er, Erlen's uh, stats in the final combat. Because earlier on in the series, I alluded to Erlen's longevity being not entirely explainable.
0: And I, I assumed from episode two he was a vampire.
2: <laughs> oh no, he was the, the the truth of the matter is is that um in the ordeal that Erlin went through, uh, sending Gorfinax away back uh oh, six hundred years ago, kind of irrevocably bound him to the creature. Mm-hmm. So this kind of out of time timelessness that Gorfinax possessed also affected Erlin. So that's why when when Lonigan showed up as an Erlen controlled entity uh, that uh, Erl- or not Erlen sorry as Lonigan showed up as a Gorfinax controlled entity that Erlen had such an intense physical reaction and you'll notice that when you cut the cord he was fine yeah yeah like having having Gorfinax kind of like manifest in even just a small way of possessing a physical creature on this plane was a painful experience for him so like yeah i i fudged some rules he was he was pretty like he was kind of sharing some stats with this like It wasn't even really a character, just this, like, uh, lonnegan Gorfanax kind of amalgam, which is why you, I mean, it was probably edited out, I haven't listened to the final episodes yet, Um, but all the sounds of me, like, rustling through my spell flipbook, going, ah, shit, ah, shit, ah, shit, ah, shit. shit." (laughs) I cut out,
0: like, uh, silences, but I left a couple that were funny, like, we were like... My spell book! <laughs> he like, made a little song out of it and stuff. I kept yeah. that.
2: <laughs> so, because that was like, I'm, you know, it was, it was basically, it was supposed to be, he, he's supposed to be a super high level character, but also kind of a, like a, an unwanted appendage of a god. Which is why, like, if, I mean, there are going to be rule counters out there, they're like, "Uh, that's not right, like, he cast this spell, like, three times before, and I'm pretty sure that blah, 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 it's like, yeah, well, guess what, you know, house rules, and we said it in first episode, so. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm actually surprised how well we kept to them, honestly, with how unfamiliar most of us were with fifth, like, I was fastidious about my spell slots, and we all leveled up according to the rules and stuff, it may not sound like it, but I think we put in, I think we put in work behind the scenes.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Anyway, I think that's the extent of the questions that are going to be read on this episode. Leon has been champing at the bit to say <laughs> some shit.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, um, well, I was a couple things. One, I, a bunch of I, I was able to get through just because they come up in the questions. One thing that didn't come up in the questions. Um, I had this running sort of a like subplot where I was hinting at something throughout the entire game. Where uh, oh, you
0: writing on that paper? Yeah.
3: Yeah, literally that. Um, thank you. Someone remembered. There's, it's, the answer is simple. The implications are complex. The, the answer to what it is is it's an enemies list. It's people that he had, um, ronaldo believes might be threats to him at at one point or another whether they mean to be or not and people he needs to kill like Tamson was on it but when he died ronaldo t- i mean when she died ronaldo took out the piece of paper i was like i crossed that off and uh erlin was on it when he thought he was a villain but then when he realized that erlin was not the villain he crossed that off and when lonegan was on there, was on there for the whole thing and so forth and so on and i believe blister died uh, as well and blister was on there you're welcome was Jane on there? No, no. Ronaldo did not realize that Jane was his enemy until he was staring her in the face and running towards her. So he didn't have time. It's not like he, as soon as he figured it out, he's like, okay, let me write this down right before I kill you.
2: <laughs> Just hold no. on a
3: second. Hold on. How do you spell Jane? Right. <laughs> and, by, and by the way, a lot of people misspell it uh, in the comments. But, um...
1: Oh my god! It's so funny to read those comments because they don't know how to spell her name, even though we spelled yep. her name out. But yeah, that's fine.
3: Everyone misspells Ronaldo as well in like three different ways, but it doesn't matter. Um, the, uh, the 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 um, implications of this was that when something happened, Anne's name went on it because when Anne murdered all those innocent people inside the place and started to burn down the town, Ronaldo started to perceive Anne as a threat to him because that meant. She was going to get him killed or that she was going to kill him for being not a nice person.
0: You also have to remember like the place Anne was in psychologically like her best friend had murdered her second best friend. Also, (laughs) someone had firebombed a church and she was a cleric like she was not in a great place. No, I understand. I know. I just want to say like that decision was a lot more complex than it may have looked. Mm. I don't think Anne would have done that. At many other times during the campaign like that was a very unique circumstance
2: i would just like to say that the fire setting was probably my favorite part of the campaign entirely <laughs> it was not something that i was like oh yeah and obviously this is gonna happen but you guys kept setting so many fires and i was like this is amazing and like yeah. it was very it was very special to me when you guys went to the library to the book repository mm-hmm it was very special to me to have the firefighters on strike.
0: I loved that. I was
2: like, I have to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it became very, like a very strong motif, fire. And I've actually, like I said earlier about contrasting themes, mm-hmm. I, a strong uh, symbol in season two is going to be water. Okay.
1: Um, actually, I have a question for Johnny. Mm. Um, how do you feel about how everyone played their character? great. I feel like that's not a question that a lot of people would ask you, because uh. oh, DM, he knows everything, but how do you feel about us as individual players? No,
2: no, absolutely great. I mean, you know, very early on, uh, it occurred to me after we ran that first combat, that I was like, oh, you know, um, this, this may not necessarily be a kind of a classic D&D. I know that, like, we got some <laughs> listener comments throughout the entire campaign that were like, oh, can you have some more combat in it? And I'm like... Uh, You know, I'd I'd like to, but at the same time, that's just kind of like listening to math. Yeah. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It's not as compelling as, like, characters talking to each other or learning things about each other or, like, the whole evidence of of betrayal with Ronaldo and Jane and the subsequent actions of that happening. Yeah. uh, To a more compelling story than, hey... Combat. More combat. Yeah,
2: I I went into this kind of thinking that, you know, it would probably be better to have something more akin to a, you know, like a radio drama that sort of like had just a, a, a dash of game just like, yeah. ooh, just sprinkled over the top of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My,
0: f- my first exposure to D&D was listening to streams where... Uh, Skitch would play D&D with like Jason Pallara and Noah Antweiler and a bunch of those old channel awesome guys. And their streams would be four or five hours and they would accomplish basically the same amount we do in an hour long episode because Mm -hmm. they played fourth edition combat and it just went on forever. And like it was fine for what that was. It's just not the kind of show I want to do. And I've actually I'll probably mention this on episode one of season two, but I've gone in and ripped out the math on everything. I'm basically remixing. Uh, So much under the hood so that when combat happens, it's more, I don't want to use the word realistic. There's a sense of uh, verisimilitude to if you guys take a sword to the chest, you're going to have taken a sword to the chest in numbers. So combat can happen. It will happen if you want it to, but it's going to be much faster because of these things I'm going to do behind the scenes that you guys don't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. Streamlining that is something that I've been working on. For for like a long time now, okay.
2: Yeah, you
3: want you want to hear the uh, the conclusion to what the list was going to do? Oh,
2: I'm I'm sorry, Leon. I thought I thought that was I I would love to. No. I want to hear what you were gonna try and do in my universe. <laughs> <laughs> if if we
3: won, one of two things was gonna happen between Ronaldo and Anne. He was going to either say he was going to say no matter what he was going to say, Anne, we don't work as as a group because you're dangerous and you're gonna get me killed one day. So I need to go. And if Anne was like, That makes sense and Ronaldo just, you know, fucks off and go and, and and that's the end of his story, then that would have been the end of the story. But if Anne, as she had been doing throughout the entire game, said, No, we have to stick together and I'm gonna make you a good person and I'm gonna be with you forever and you're my best friend and like hangs on <laughs> And hangs on to his leg, which I felt was a very real possibility.
2: Were you going to tell Anne about the rabbits? No. Yeah.
3: Ronaldo was going to... My plan was this. Um, I was basically going to wait until Anne's HP was low. And then say, hey, Anne, how about one more butt touch for your old time's sake? And then with Ronaldo as strong as I could make him, goes in for a hug and then snaps her neck. Um, that <gasps> That's... was. You asked. That was gonna be a, that was gonna be a strength check. I feel, uh, <laughs> and that was a or or if that did not work, he was just gonna sword her to death.
0: That's fucking dark, bro.
3: <laughs> well, if, if Ronaldo feels like if she's not going to just leave him alone, then he's got to do something about it.
1: You know what I was gonna? You know what I was gonna do if we had won? Yeah. Alana was literally going to go to the next town and. Be a prostitute again because fuck it, <laughs> like nice. she doesn't care.
3: Your, your plan is more streamlined than mine. Uh, mine involved uh, possibly uh, murdering my best friend.
0: Murdering a beloved character, you monster! <laughs> a, the
2: second most beloved character, apparently. Yes, the second yeah, most. Yeah. Like to to be
1: fair, like I know that Ronaldo and Jane like never saw eye to eye, and we didn't like each other as much in character. Mm. But I feel like if you had murdered both members of the original party, (laughs) like, I feel like if you had murdered Anne, that, like, everyone would have gotten mad at you as a, as listeners. That's fine. (laughs) I'm
3: totally okay with that. Um, Ronaldo was, and the way I was going to do it, Ronaldo's, uh, last words were going to be, he he scratches her name off the list, and that was going to be, like, the big reveal to what it was. And then he was going to say, um, Anne, I love you so much, I'm only going to loot you a little. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was gonna be perfect
2: uh, i i was i was gonna burn her and then run it right off see there there you go jess that's a perfect example of how great i feel about you guys role-playing your characters properly
0: if we had one and ronaldo would have said like oh, i think we should go our separate ways i honestly think the final shot of the movie of this campaign is us at a crossroads in a sunset ronaldo takes off in his horse in one direction and goes off on her moose back towards the Church of Avondra because that's where she would want to go after this to report back. And Alana going to be a prostitute in the next town, like literally us just going three different ways at a fork.
2: Okay. No, you see, then the camera would crane upwards.
0: <laughs> uh-huh.
2: <laughs> and then off in the distance, you just see this burning metropolis. Well, there is that too.
0: None of us are going to Stone Root. Like, we're all leaving. I know,
2: but that's like...
1: Our legacy. <laughs>
2: You guys, you guys, maybe, you may had you like, you could have saved the world, but you burned a town to the ground. One of us burned a town to the ground. I did my best. You were complicit, Leon.
1: <laughs> I will say that, um, had Jane survived and made it to the end yep. of the campaign and we had won, I would say that if certain things had aligned the way they had and we had won, I think that... Jane would have had the courage to go back home and right the wrongs her family has done and basically lead, you know, lead the people in general to overthrow her family. And everybody goes, hey, wait a minute, aren't you one of them? And then she'd be like, no, nah, it's fine. I-, I lived in the woods for like years and then I saved the world. You're welcome, <laughs> by the way.
2: <laughs> no, nah, it's fine. You know, I'm a hobo. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny,
3: I know I know you don't plan like every last detail that far ahead, but if, uh, if they, our party won and Ronaldo went looking for Silas, was he, did he die in the fire or did he make it out?
0: I don't want to know the answer to that question. I do.
3: I don't want to know. You can, you can close your ears and then, and then somehow not edit this part. But I would, I would, li- I, would I would like to know if romance had still been a possibility for Ronaldo at the end of the game. He was probably going to die in the fire. Okay. That's fair. I, I was just wondering. Uh, okay,
1: so my question to you is, um, and I'm sorry, Austin, uh, in advance for your loss, but um, how did Marshmallow die? Did he just burn to death? I read it as smoke
2: <laughs> inhalation.
1: That's what I read it as too. But did he also bur- like did he burn to death or was it smoke inhalation? It was
2: smoke inhalation.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, Marshmallow was captured by the city guard. Oh. Um, and was put into the dungeon.
0: And you did give us plenty of warning. You you did not spring that on us. It was just we were on a time crunch and we like out of character and we had to finish up. So Yep.
1: Yeah, and we decided not to go to the dungeon. Yeah.
2: Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh well. And that's sorry, that is another that is another one of my DM principles, is that player decisions have to have impact and they have to have consequences. And that runs both ways. Alright, that if you throw a tough decision in front of the players, you can't just forgive them for making it and be like, oh, okay, well, I guess you made the more merciful of the two decisions so nothing bad happens. Like, bad things have to happen. At the same time, you need to let player agency shine. So when, when players have really good ideas, or stuff that you hadn't thought of, stuff that you hadn't prepared for, it is, it is downright Dickish and, like, not in the spirit of the game to not go with it. All right.
0: The episode, An Option of Mercy, I feel like best exemplified that because, like you said, if they had gotten the dagger, we would have lost. That would have been, like, a really bad consequence of our plan. And also, we chose not to go to the dungeon, which resulted in Marshmallow, which shows a consequence. But you rolled with our plan succeeding on the dice and let us have that win because we kind of, like, earned it. Yeah. You know? So, like, right there, those basically, like, that could have broken any way, but the way it did, I think, exemplified all the strengths of the way you ran your campaign all at once.
2: Like, don't game your players. Don't be so dead set and focused that what you've written is the way that things have to go. You've got to be flexible. You've got to let the players feel like they, they have a stake, that they can get through this, that they can actually make a difference,
1: yeah yeah, I feel like I've been in campaigns where the DM is like, "Hey, so you got to do this." And then if we don't, like the DM's like, "Well, you still got to do this." And the players were kind of like, "Um, but we decided to do another thing instead." And like he was so adamant about it that we just like the campaign fell apart. So I feel like the balancing act of a DM is not only to anticipate character actions and make like contingency plans, but also be able to listen to players on that same token and be able to make the contingency plans in 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 conjunction with what players decide, yeah, so if they don't you know if if player a decides thing one and then but the dm wants him to do like thing four, like you gotta be flexible with the fact that he wants to do thing one, so let him fucking do thing one, totally have the consequences of thing one, ripple. And if that ripple means that you eventually do thing four, then fine. But the first ripple should not be like, hey, you need to do thing four right now. No. Yeah. Deal with the fallout of thing one and then move on. The
2: worst the the absolute worst thing that you can say as a dungeon master in a tabletop role playing game is, No, you can't do that. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Unless you physically cannot do it as a player. Like like for example, like you could tell Alana, like if Alana was like, "Hey, I want to cast light." You could literally tell her, "You don't have any magic. You actually cannot do that."
0: Yeah. That's just about the player knowing how to play their character and respecting yeah. the fiction. But yeah. it's it's improv. You have to yes and.
1: Yeah, and but there are like certain constraints to that. So like if you do not know or if for example, you're in a universe where certain magic does not work or certain things do not work, like the whole Gorfinex um dagger and the cord, like all those all those weapons getting damaged, like that's obviously a thing that those player and NPC characters could not do. They could not cut the cord because they did not have the right weapon. But that's that was like something that we discovered as players. So I mean there's a way to make it work but the problem is is that not every person every I I I think that most people have the good have the potential to be a good player character but it takes a certain kind of person to be a good DM and be able to balance those two things.
0: I call it pulling a father carlos when you just roll with your character's dumb 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 shit.
1: <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't but
3: either okay, sure. but okay.
0: No, I told you guys this Father Carlos story, my player who oh, started right. A, Oh right, oh right. Yeah. But... <laughs> oh right. The,
1: kid the kids, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was not planned
0: for. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing. I just I have this uh, Twitter up, guys, and I my eyes just ran across another question. Okay. So, uh, Robert, Robert Paulson asks, "So, Ronaldo is in hell, right?" <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Isn't>... Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know what is Gorfanax part of one of the nine hells? Like I don't know how that works in this universe.
2: No, Gorfanax kind of exists outside of um, the 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 pantheon of gods in D and D fifth edition.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we we made him up as a thought
2: experiment, so yes, I'd, I'd, I'd assume.
0: Yeah, it's the Meat Wheel. It's a mythos we've created.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's the Meat Wheel. Uh, however, uh, as a player character in D and D fifth edition, and one who Publicly espouses his hatred for the gods. Yeah. Yeah. Ronaldo
3: is suffering. He didn't say he hates the gods, he just says is that he's neutral.
0: He's neutral so he would have went to the outlands, which yeah. is like this liminal space between afterlifes where you wander forever, yeah. never having a place to rest. Jane Jane Jane
3: says she hates the gods. Ronaldo was like,
0: eh. She was chaotic neutral, so she went to limbo, where she was torn apart by evil frogs forever.
1: <laughs> so, speaking of gods, um, a lot of people are, uh, a lot of people have asked the question, like to me at least, have asked the question, did Alana see like get touched by Evandra? A lot of people have asked me that, and I told Johnny the answer. Uh, the answer is is that I feel like between her house burning down and this dude coming into her life, literally murdering somebody downstairs from where she lives (laughs) and then being kept in her room and then like taking her along for a ride along the rooftops on a dire ferret and meeting somebody who was someone she did not expect as a halfling. And then going on this adventure with all with these two people and learning, like, basically more than she wanted to. I feel like Alana felt that Evandra was a convenience, but, and she did find God, but I feel like if none of those things had happened to her, she just would have gone on her merry way and just said, fuck it, I don't care. But because all of those things happened in such a rapid succession, like, over the course of a few days, yes, I feel like she may not have been divinely inspired by Evandra, but she has felt some kind of touch from some kind of god. Hmm. So, that's the answer to that question.
0: Vis-a-vis the pole is the question.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, we've been going on for almost two and a half hours. Anything else you guys want to say before we go? I, I, would,
2: I would like to say a couple words, actually. All right. So, you guys probably don't know this, but... In my youth, I used to be a very prolific creative writer. Um, I used to write short stories, poetry, um, other D&D campaigns, uh, things like that. And when my father passed away in 2006, I suddenly discovered that I had lost taste for writing. Almost entirely. Um, I wrote maybe a dozen very, very personal, very powerful pieces after he passed, and then I put my pen down And I didn't pick it up um, for a long time after that. One of the reasons I started writing about games uh, on Blistered Thumbs was that I used to love writing so much and I I had kind of like convinced myself that it was like, okay, you know, like if you did this thing, if you wrote about games every day, it would give you a chance to sit down and write every day, keep those muscles sharp, and you know, maybe you'd find out that you, you loved it again. And that was okay, you know, for a little while. Austin knows what I'm talking about. There was probably more drama and hair-pulling than was worth. But since then, I have probably written creative pieces like I could count on my fingers. And when I was, I guess, asked um, to DM the campaign for uh, uh, Dice Funk Stone Root, I was a little worried. I was reticent because I hadn't really done any of this shit on a regular basis in almost a decade. So it was hard for me starting. Um it was difficult to kind of get that rhythm back and actually dedicate time every week to like being like okay, this is my writing block. This is when, you know, I I get my outline up and uh and actually hammer some shit out on the keys. But in the end, um, I just want to say that I am actually rather proud of how it turned out. Uh, I hope you three, Leon, Austin, Jess, I hope you enjoyed yourself playing in this campaign with me. Oh, yeah. Um, I hope that all of our listeners uh, enjoyed listening to my uh, overly overwrought... (laughs) um <laughs> ramblings um and i would like to thank again you 3 mm. for doing this with me um and having patience with me uh and i would like to thank all of all of the listeners for continuing to tune in for expressing interest uh hopefully enjoying it and making me feel like i haven't really lost it so thanks everybody and thank you, Johnny. I thought you did a great job.
1: Oh, thank you, Johnny.
2: You did it. Ooh, we did it. <laughs> we, and by we, yeah. I mean me, and you guys lost. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Since this will be Jess's last episode for a while, can you give us the uh, next time on Dice Funk, Jess?
1: Oh, really? Oh, you're so nice. Um. Okay, sure. Next time on Dice Funk.
2: Yeah, I I know it's, like, 20,000 gallons of rice, but, I mean, do you want it or not?
0: <laughs> Sorry, Leon, I had to kill your character during the character creation process, <laughs> but I have a backup sheet here. You,
3: all your stats are three. Austin hates my character. Austin hates my character. Suck it.
0: As always, our theme song is A Fistful of Nickels, the overclocked remix arrangement of Shadow's theme for Final Fantasy VI. Executive producers for Dice Funk for the month of June 2016 are Joseph Timberlo, Ingmar Gremin, The Church of Gorfanax, Finch Jong, Kirsten Haslinger, King Waza, James Bevan, Allison Ansel, Luke Powers, Michael Goodell, Wayne Witzke, Brent, Jason, Sarah Hanley, Neil, Melissa Booker, Keith Snyder, Esther, Cameron Abbas, Ariel Badger Release, Zenith Will Rule, Exley, Gary Sion, Dash on the Rage Monster, Carl, Harrison Andrew, Jade, Tarka, Jorit, Vigor Arnston, Anna Stuhlfahrer, Dylan, Giorgio Renna, Christopher Charlotte, Cody Jackson, and August Rue. If you want to support the show, you could subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Podbean, as well as rating, reviewing, or commenting. If you want to help more directly, you can find me at Patreon.com slash Austin Yorski. You can find Leon at Patreon.com slash Renegade Cut, And you can find Jess at Patreon.com slash RavenAlegria13. If you want to support Johnny, please, for the love of God, don't plunge the dagger into the orb. We found that out the hard way.